Oddities, Late Night Movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And I'm just blocking you out because I gotta concentrate here. (laughs) It's a a good choice. (laughs) Sure. I I didn't have too many opening quotes for this one. Um, One of the other ones I had was from uh, Olaf, one of my least favorite characters, I think, in existence. But we will will get into that. Oh, God, I kind of even gave it away. Well, I always do this. uh, The the title gives it away because we put the name in the movie and the year it came out. But... Uh, I just wanted to make sure, you know, that that we are discussing 2013's Disney's Frozen and not the 2010 movie Frozen involving the people stuck on the ski lift. Have you ever heard of that movie, Ben? No. So no, in, I have not. In 2010, it's like an indie movie, like Adam Green directed it. He's one of those, like, um, you know, indie, like, small horror directors and stuff like that. I, I remember, you know, Frozen came out in 2013. It was the biggest thing ever, pretty much, you know. Um, it was the highest grossing animated movie at the time. It still is like the third highest grossing animated movie now. Uh, everybody was singing Let It Go. And then I remember I saw like someone I watch on YouTube who reviews movies. And they were like, oh, they, they had a few videos on Frozen. And I was like, why the hell would this dude be reviewing the Disney movie? And so I click on it and like watch the video or start the video to get a sense of what's going on. And it's this 2010 movie called Frozen, which like I described is literally just a horror, like horror thriller of some like a group of three like teenagers or whatever get caught on a ski lift for some reason and they have to figure out how to get out. Like it's too tall that they can't just fall. I think one of them like tries to jump and they break their legs. There's like a pack of wolves underneath them as well like waiting for them to fall off and and i was like that's fairly interesting i did watch the video it's it's seemingly pretty dumb like uh it gets ripped apart on the internet for having like some stupid decisions and things like that but i was just thinking about it like Man, the SEO on that independent horror movie is just fucked to death by the success. The one and a quarter billion dollar success of Disney's Frozen. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah, and also, since um, a little peek behind the curtain, we're, we uh, turned this episode around, the recording of it, pretty quickly. Like, last night, Ben was like... Frozen, and I was like, okay, I'll watch that tonight, we'll record it, we'll get it done, you know, that type of thing. And I didn't, like, double-check with you that I was like, are we doing the Disney one or are we doing the the ski lift one? Because I figured, since this is Unexpected Love, you would not have picked the ski lift one. Because that seems like an indie horror movie that if you enjoyed, I'd be like, oh yeah, sure, you know, then like some some little horror movies. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely the Disney one. Yes, yes. So that is what we're here for. We are here to, just as Ben and I did uh, two months ago... In February, we did the music movie series. We revisited that. We are now revisiting something Zach and I did years ago, the Unexpected Love series. Another one of those evergreen topics that, you know, we can always go back to because there's always such a well. And I'm glad to do this because, you know, now that uh, Zach and I had the chance to do some Unexpected Love, uh, my well of Unexpected Love will never run dry. But we now have Ben here. And Ben has done, has been on here enough to, you know, get a sense of what he, or the audience, cinema audience, can get a sense of what he likes, what he doesn't like. Things like that. And now we can get to, well, what are the movies that he unexpectedly loves? And this is the first one. It is Frozen. And Ben, I remember when I pitched this series to you. Um, I, I was like, you know, what do you got? Is there anything that comes to mind? And you were really like, you know, I've, I got to think about it. And then when you pitched me Frozen, and you did pitch me one other, which we'll cover this month, but we'll we'll keep that one under wraps for now. When you pitched me Frozen, I was like, fucking 
Perfect. Ben, the guy who came up with the series for The Rock Set Shit Straight, <laughs> and him wanting to talk about this, you know, Disney princess movie, this is unexpected love as it comes. So this was an excellent pick, Ben. Not only for that reason, because I finally got to see this movie. I had never seen it before. Um, I, kn- I knew the story because I played Kingdom Hearts 3, and you play through Arendelle in Kingdom Hearts 3, but I had actually never sat down and watched the movie. So this is kind of one of those, those big blind spots I've had, and I finally got to check it out last night on uh, Disney Plus because that's of course where you find all these Disney princess movies. So right. before I throw it over to you, Ben, and ask you some questions because of course you know I- I'm sure the cinema audience wants to know. I know I'm dying to know why you love this movie. I do have to bring up something that I I know we've talked about it. I have no idea if it made it onto a recording or in one of those rants episode on Patreon, which everybody should go check out if you subscribe to our Patreon. You can uh, get a bunch of other episodes on movies and TV shows, but every once in a while we release some of our just off-the-record ramblings and stuff like that. And I, I remember telling you once that when I worked at a deli way back when, this must have been like 2012, 2013 or something, I worked in a supermarket deli, and we got a man, a new manager came in, and... Me and some other workers there saw that on some sticker or tag or container, she wanted to write frozen, but she spelt it with two Z's. So she's yeah, frozen. Frozen, yes, frozen. Yeah, I'm, I remember. Okay, perfect. I think I think you told me this story in Nick and Matt's apartment when we visited Pittsburgh. That could be completely true because this would have happened before I ever met you. So, and this is a story I, I I love to tell people. But sure, okay. So Ben is well aware, but that like we. Love that. Like, me and the other, like, undergrad kids working at this deli thought it was the funniest goddamn thing that this, our manager, you know, this doofus lady couldn't spell frozen when she's been working in a grocery store for, you know, most of her damn adult life. But we we loved it. We loved that it was frozen. And she wrote it with a marker, too, so she had to, like, cross it out and spell it correctly. But I love frozen. So, of course, when I sat down to uh, watch this movie and make my notes, I was like, okay, I'm watching frozen. But I do want to bring up, because I always have to continue continue this story with it's just become a part of my vernacular like whenever i make my shopping lists if i have to buy like say you know frozen corn if i want to get like frozen chicken strips anything frozen and i have to write the word frozen you know on my shopping list or anywhere for me personally like i'm not saying i do this on you know professional documents or anything like that i always write frozen so much so that it's in my phone's dictionary that when i write frozen it doesn't correct me anymore and There's been a few times when people, you know, my friends or whatever, they come around and they kind of see that I've written Frozen, and it it fucking baffles me. Like, people who know me, they'll be like, you don't know how to spell Frozen? I'm like, give me the fucking benefit of the doubt. I know how to spell Frozen. I have to tell them the story. Um, But, Ben, I'm so glad we get to talk about Frozen today. It pains me deeply. That I I want to, but I know I shouldn't. I want to put the episode title Frozen 2013. (laughs) (laughs) But I know I shouldn't because we want people to listen to this. And hopefully, you know, people will listen to it because this is still an incredibly popular movie. So if if at any point throughout this recording I switch between Frozen and Frozen, now everybody understands why. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I'll be confused in the slightest. Okay, okay. So, Ben unexpected love you picked this disney movie you've talked to me about this before i I think we talked about it back when we lived near each other i remember you saying you liked it or something like that um i know some of my friends who have kids of course they've been inundated with it something i want to get into more the um the constant replay value this movie has for young children it seems but okay ben now i'm dying to know 
why why is this one why do you love this movie? I was about to say why do you, why is this unexpected love? It's totally unexpected. You know, like I said, you're the rock set shit straight guy. You're the one we love our Spider-Man and stuff like that. So how does Frozen fit into into your your love here? That's what I'm dying to know. Please elaborate on that. So Frozen is actually just one exemplar of a category of movies that are probably unexpected for me to like. Okay. And and that is these Disney musicals. Even going as far back as Mulan when I was a kid, you know, I love me some Mulan. Mm-hmm. Moana, good shit. You got some, like, female empowerment, like, dope songs about, I don't know, leaving an island or something. Considering coconuts, um, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, doing coke on the beach, whatever. <laughs> nice. Um, it's, uh, I guess, so being raised by my mom and two sisters, um, I, I do kind of have a soft spot for, like, female empowerment empowerment movies. Um, and probably some of that stems all the way back to like having to watch Lifetime movies with my mom, mm. um, where it's just like, you know, this lady's husband's trying to kill her and then she figures out some way to kill him back, but first or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, so there's all this like level of like, yeah, fucking like underdog empowerment stories that I, that I really enjoy. Um, and so, so I think for Frozen, it's like we get a little bit of that empowerment, except it's, it's not so much that she's being empowered to overcome like a physical obstacle. Cause she's fucking magical and she's yeah. more powerful than Frozone from the Incredibles. Like she's, she's superhero level. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she would fit right in, in the Avengers. Yeah. I, I was going to say X-Men, but sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. X- X-Men. Cause there actually is an ice mutant, but oh yeah, um, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So she's more powerful than him for sure. She's more powerful than storm, you know, whatever. But anyway, so, so, um, it's not that she's overcoming. It's actually this like idea of having to hide who she is that she's overcoming. Oh yeah. And of course, you know, th- there's all this, like there, there's a bunch of female empowerment messages around that because there's the rhetoric of like women are, are called like bitchy if, if they're too assertive or whatever. And, and like this message kind of, or this movie kind of embraces the idea of like, you don't need to hide who you are. Um, and so like that empowerment message, it just always kind of clicked with me. Um, again, you know, being raised by, by women and, and having to watch. Luckily my family liked lifetime movies and not Hallmark movies. Cause dear God, <laughs> I've had to watch some Hallmark movies in my time. And, oh, anyway. Yeah. The lifetime movies, um, you know, like I, like not too long ago, I watched like, uh, the pregnancy pact, which was that thing about like all the, the girls agreeing to get pregnant and stuff like that. And it has the message about, you know. Like, no, underage pregnancy is bad, that type of thing. Um, like, the, there's Lifetime's movie, like you said. It's like, oh, my husband's cheating and I got to get back on him. Like, there's always some slight thriller-esque twist to him. Yep. The Hallmark movies are like, you know, woman goes back to hometown, meets her crush, and the crush, like, from high school or whatever. And the crush is like, you know, oh, hey, do you want to get together? And she's like, oh, you're not rich. And then later on, it f- she finds out that he, like, invented the sandwich and he's the richest person <laughs> in existence or something. And so she falls in love with him. Like, it's right. more of the... the the, the I want to I really want to say like bullshit sappy romance where at least oh, yeah. the lifetime it's, has it's some awful. something going for it you know <laughs> well and with Hallmark there, there's like two really I don't know like templates that they use which, which is like you know are are they gonna kiss partway through the movie and then something's gonna happen and split them up for mm. for the part of the movie and then they'll get back together at the end of the movie sure. or are we gonna see the first kiss at the end of the movie that's it that's all Hallmark does. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm those thinking the- of that formula where it's like, you know, 
they get together, but it turns out that, you know, the, the whole, the relationship is predicated on an air quotes, a lie. And then that lie gets revealed and they break up and then they get back together. But the lie is always something like, Oh my God, you told me you had two cats, but you only have one, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I haven't so, seen a Hallmark movie in a while and I'm thankful for it. <laughs> I mean, you just cited the exact plot of one of them. So I don't, <laughs> I have a hard time believing that. Um, and that movie is called Not Enough Cats, or Too Many Cats, or whatever the hell I said, That Amount of Cats. That's yeah, the whole title uh, right there. I, I wasn't correcting not, myself. That's the entire title. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and that, yeah, we can only assume came from the pitch meeting. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm imagining so, someone pitches it to Hallmark, and then they're like, that's good. What should we call it? And the guy said, the guy like who pitched it actively forgot what he just pitched. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's totally that's totally it. So, you know, anyway, it, it's the reason I bring up Hallmark movies is like in juxtaposition to what this movie is. It's um this movie does give us female empowerment and it's not fucking goofy ass attempted comedy mixed with romance that doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and they actually like, they even go so far as to break the stereotypes or the tropes of like true love's first kiss, not being the act of love that saves her. And like, you know, so there's all those things that are, that are, it's nice to see some kind of subversion of expectations from Disney. Absolutely. That, and what you just described, the, um, the, the act of love being the sacrifice and not, you know, not even did the original Disney animation era of, you know, um, Prince Charming, you know, waking sleeping beauty or something like that. Um, I I have to say, I, I appreciated that. What I don't appreciate is that when Anna goes and uh, or Anna goes and like stops the sword and turns to ice and that type of thing, I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. You know, that's the act of love. She's gonna thaw out, and then we have stupid fucking Josh Gad as Olaf go. Do you remember that? That's the thing that we've been talking yeah, about yeah. in the movie. And I'm like, oh no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, I, I I knew you'd have trouble with that. Um, I I was able to tune it out pretty well, but I definitely sure. I caught that line, and I was just like. Hey, look, the the thing, you know, it's like it's like whenever they say the, the name of the title or, you know, the name of the movie in the movie. It's like, hey, that's the name of the movie. You know, that's yes. that's definitely what what uh, Olaf is as a character. That being said, I, I do think he's better than Jar Jar Binks. I will. I will give you that. I haven't seen um, the Jar Jar Binks movie episode one uh, in a long, long time. But I will give you that, you know, there are some, you know, funny moments from from Olaf, I'd not. A lot of them. I mean, we'll talk more about Olaf, I think. But there's just one point where he's like, "I don't have a skull or bones," and like it comes, <laughs> it's, it's very like you know, out of left field, out of nowhere. Like it, it's almost like jammed into the movie after the fact, and that I think made me laugh about it even more. <laughs> sure, um, and like you know, we get that scene where he's like, "Knock." Just, oh. just knock. <laughs> yes. Do you think she knows how to knock? Yeah, that, like, the, the little that little extra beat because when he's like knock, why isn't she knocking? I was like, oh my god, shut the fuck up! And then he's like, do you think she knows how to knock? And I'm like, okay, movie, okay. <laughs> 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 I was very. I mean, I am. I do have. I have problems. I think Josh Gad is annoying. Like in general, like in things I've seen him in, he's he's become more of like a Disney person these days. Uh, especially with Olaf. I think that was like his big break with Disney. But I mean, yeah. I, I, I so I kind of find him annoying in general. Like Olaf itself, there's some stuff I like. The Like the, what do you want to call it? Like comedic innocence, maybe? Like he's not like annoying. He's just like so stupid, you know? It's, Definitely. And, and, and like that's a little better than, you know, like if he was like, you know, abrasive or aggressive or something like that. That's really exemplified by the song where he's like singing about whatever snow does in summer. Yeah. Um, it's like, and that that song 
that song is beating you over the head. Oh yes, uh, yes. With with this idea that he's like that he doesn't understand that snow melts or so. And I don't even under, you know like why that's relevant at, at all is <laughs> is not clear. Definitely, um, it's like it, accidental it's, suicide. The song, you know. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's kind of funny, you know. Accidental suicide. The song is kind of funny, but then like the the second, third, fourth, fifth time they reference it in the song, you're like, okay, I get it. You know, yes. oh yeah. And then the the bit where he's just like he's he could have rhymed puddle with something, but he didn't. Yep. That yep. that whole misdirection. It's like oh, okay, that's like the one kind of clever thing you did in this song. The rest of it's just the same shit over and over again. But yes. you know that doesn't that one song doesn't make me dislike the movie. It's just I I could get why Olaf would get on your nerves to some degree. Ab- absolutely, and I think more overall of why I dislike Olaf is because it's it, it maybe is more of the Josh Gad thing because he is once. I mean, I'm I'm not totally against Josh Gad. I just personally find him annoying. You know, it's like I how I think Tom Holland is a 12 year old boy. It's one of those things. You know, it's just like a, he rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But he's doing something with his voice as Olaf that has like too much breathiness in it. Where he's like, you know, at the end, like in that moment we mentioned when, um, you know, he, he like uh, t- he tells the audience that that was the act of true love. You know, I'll put the clip in because I'm not going to do it justice. But he's, he's the way he says it. He says something like, oh, the act of love is thawing the heart. Or like it's so breathy. It's almost like like he's not he, like he's straining to get words out or he's closing his throat too much. <sighs> An act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. And he doesn't do it all the time, but he does it some of the time. And when it happens, it's just like almost like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, fucking talk. I'm like, you're a magical snow creature. Like, you should just be pushing like wind through a through an ice tunnel or whatever. Like, it should be clear. Well, I mean, he's got he has lungs. They can get disconnected (laughs) from his body and he's fine. You know, this. But o- Olaf was definitely my least favorite part of the movie. I guess I will. I should say at the at the top of this, you know, after watching it, I, I want to be very clear about this. This is not a bad movie. Like the whole time watching it, I am I'm like I totally get why this clicked. You know, with all four quadrants, why it made one and a quarter billion dollars, why you know kids love it. Like it totally clicks with me. There's stuff I really like. You mentioned the subversion of a lot of the uh, Disney princess tropes and stuff like that that I really really appreciated. Like I I don't think this is a bad movie. It is just not a movie for me, and I think that's the best way to say it. Like like this is not a movie where I was like, oh man, like I'm sorry Ben, I can't come here and say like I loved this too. This is one of those movies where I'm like, I get it, I get why it's successful there's a lot of great moments there's a lot of neat ideas but overall it it's another kind of disney princess story to me maybe a little too a little too kiddish for me if that makes sense sure sure yeah i mean it it makes sense uh it's it's like it's not like a movie i go out of my way to watch and and i should say like when i watch it i think i watched it with my niece sure uh you know the first time and i was like oh okay this is actually pretty decent and like that's that's how it gets into this like unexpected love category and i I think it was like post frozen that i saw moana i think moana came out after frozen so of course it would have to be Mm -hmm. um but like you know it it, frozen was what made me watch some of these other movies uh where they started doing some of the subversion of of you know the the damsel in distress or the the princess relying on prince charming or whatever and you start to see more of like actual independent female characters and i i was 
you know, just intrigued by that, I guess. Um, That's you. You just put it a really good way because I feel like if I was in your shoes and I had seen this, you know, closer to when it came out in 2013 or when it was, you know, on home video and being watched repeatedly on streaming services, um, even you know before Disney. That was before Disney Plus and stuff like that. I'm sure that if I ha- had some, you know, little kid to be around and they were watching Frozen and I was like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and watch this with you because I love watching, you know, anything basically. I feel like I would have had the same thought that you did. Like I would have sat there and I would have watched it I would have been like huh that was not as bad as I expected from a Disney princess movie and I think yeah. that's the highest possible praise I personally can give a movie oriented to kids and families sure um and that's I mean that that sits like just below where I'm at like it's I I like the movie for sure um but the thing that you know, kind of caught my attention is that it was not as bad as I, as I expected. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a great example because I, I did find this in my research that I had to shout out because it's something else from our history. Um, this of course wins the best animated feature because uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frozen. It's frozen. It wins everything. It wins best animated feature and it beats out the Croods. That's a movie that if I saw with some kids, I would have been like, oh, fuck, our ne- the next generation is ruined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that movie sucks. Yes, um, yes. I know. I think when you were first on, we talked about it, but I will never forget that they, you know, in air quotes, kill off that dinosaur dog yeah. or whatever the hell it is, and then it just pops into frame out of nowhere at the end of the movie. And I remember you and I watching it back in Athens and me, like, just screaming in your apartment. I'm like, that's so unearned! The dog should have dead! They should have put balls to the wall and killed an animal in this movie! Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. Yes, um, yes. Um, but uh, just on that topic, this also beats out Despicable Me 2, which I didn't even really know was a thing. I forgot about those Despicable Me movies. Um, beats out something called Ernest and Celestine, which I'd never heard of, but I put it on my list because it's an animated movie I have to watch. And it also beats out Hayao Miyazaki's The Wind Rises, which is one of the most depressing things of all time. Uh, so I kind of get why the Academy would want to give it to the feel-good, you know, giant blockbuster of Frozen over um, the I'm falling in love with a woman with tuberculosis while my airplanes are being used for war movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds depressing. Yes, absolutely. And also on that topic, Let It Go wins Best Original Song. And maybe maybe that's something I, I did want to transition into picking your brain on, because I actually liked that um, we have a tie-in to what we did two, uh, two months ago, our music movie series. This is a musical. And I think out of the four we did, we didn't do any musicals back in February. Um, no, Crestone was not a musical. Nowhere In was a kind of concert movie not a musical uh young blood chronicles was a music video and eight mile was about music so uh, yeah we kind of get our our kind of uh you know surrogate musical into that series now do you love let it go as much as the universe does uh i think back then i i did i remember belting let it go on on this rewatch that song is pretty substanceless yeah, I I kind of I kind of have to agree. I when it came on, I mean, well, also I've I've heard it before and they even include it in Kingdom Hearts 3 or a portion of it or something like okay. that. Cuz I guess I should say Kingdom Hearts 3 you basically pl- play through the end of the first act up to the end of the movie. So like Sora, Donald and Goofy come to Arendelle when Elsa is running across the lake and goes and makes her ice castle and stuff like that. And okay. then you play all the way through the end. So I knew all that and the kind of setup I knew from cultural osmosis like do you want to build a snowman and stuff like that. Um right. but I was waiting for let it go and i knew it was kind of in the middle of the movie you know and when it gets to that point i'm like okay i'm like i'm ready to be 
blown the fuck away. And I was just kind of like, oh, that's it? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, let it go, you know? And I'm like, that that's really the only oh. part I've heard people sing, you know? I'm uh, and I'm definitely not impressed by the singing, like the quality of of the vocals in this movie. Okay, either. thank you. That this is where I wanted to get to. I feel the same way. I felt kind of with how popular this movie is, and and how you know I, I've heard the stories from my friends with kids, from the people on the internet, where they're like, you know, my kids want to watch it so much they know all the words to the songs and they love the music. I was expecting something a lot more catchy. Like, I was expecting to come in here and be like, Ben, that one song is a banger. Like, I've been singing it all morning, you know, that type of thing. But nothing really stuck with me. Like, nothing really clicked in any way. Uh, You didn't love Fixer Upper? That's the song. Fixer Upper might be my favorite in in the movie. Fixer Upper yeah. was really good. I also really like the Coronation Day song at the beginning that Anna sings. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. But yeah, Fixer Fixer Upper, it didn't stick with me, but Fixer Upper is a good one. I That's hate... the closest one to one that could get stuck in your head, I think. Sure, sure. I hate... I, I disliked the Olaf song that we talked about. I think I despise the Love is an Open Door when Anna and Hans are singing about um, getting married or loving each other. Yeah. Like, that is some pop nonsense like it has it it sounds like it's straight out of like you know a a top 40 you know pop chart or something like that well i mean there there's a lot of issues with that song and and i think uh, i at least like to believe that the issues with that song are uh, a kind of like symbolism for the issues in their relationship that doesn't really exist okay um but this idea of love is an open door it's like for the first time in her life, the doors of her castle is open, and all of a sudden she thinks she knows what true love is, and that true love and the doors opening are the same thing. Sure, okay, okay, I'm with you. So it's so it's like a very shallow understanding of of any kind of like actual romance or love. I I do enjoy the line where they talk about finishing each other's sandwiches. Oh, sure. um, I was gonna say I, that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I also think it's fucked up if anyone ever tried to finish my sandwich, we would have problems. <laughs> you, you know, like I'm not like my wife doesn't touch my sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? Like that's sure. Um, you know, if I make a sandwich, I intend to eat it. That's where I'm at with sandwiches. Okay, so, but, so um, not to jump the gun too far, but of course, uh, somewhere in the restaurant, you know, Ben will have signs up that say, you know, no finishing someone else's sandwich. <laughs> I I don't care if you finish someone else's sandwich. Oh, okay. As long as they're okay. Yeah, just don't touch my sandwiches. Like, (laughs) and you know, it's each. It's it is every person's responsibility to defend their sandwiches to the degree they feel necessary. But I feel that it's incredibly necessary. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I I get I get what you're saying. That's a good read on that song. I think I was so against the the because the music like the pop style music I think doesn't fit with really a lot of other stuff in in the movie. You know they should have saved the pop thing for the Olaf song because he's such a different character. But I like your read on what you know the meaning of that song is, and I agree with you. At the start of the movie, that's kind of what I'm picking up on. You know I'm thinking of in the Coronation Day song. There's that scene where um, Anna goes into the 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 gallery like the the room with all the paintings and she's like jumping or she's like walking by paintings and jumping on couches and stuff and she's like mimicking the actions in the painting when she's singing about like what yeah. she's going to do out in coronation day and i'm like 
that's fantastic. Like, this is, you know, we get the lyrics where she's describing, you know, all her hopes and aspirations for, you know, the, the doors of the castle opening finally. And, you know, we're getting that through the, the auditory medium. And then they're using the other channel of visualization showing that she really has only had these paintings to learn how to interact with other people. And I'm yeah. like, that's great. I'm like, that's such a neat idea. And I just, I, and I like what you're saying about Love is an Open Door song where, you know, they kind of keep that going. But I wish we had more of that, like, two channels rather than it was just, you know, some like what there's some songs where like you know someone gets kicked by a horse or something and it's like more of the sight gags rather than anything more meaningful i think uh yeah yeah i mean the the song overall is kind of is kind of rough uh again the vocal performance not very good yeah Um, that that also i wanted to i'm glad you brought it up because i wanted to mention that i think a lot of the songs you know let it go even the olaf song i mean i i think all of them they seem to just be vehicles to get to belting out a big note. Like like it seems like every song they'll be like you know and it's just like okay we did that. Now the song's over and it's like every song seems very formulaic in that sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I can disagree. I don't know the fixture upper really. Nah, I guess you're right. There's always like this like build up. Yeah, to, yeah. To this Yeah, I mean and, and that that formula worked for them at least in terms of let it go. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know I mean, I, I do know if I was making a movie, I wouldn't follow that same formula for every song I put in it. But I don't know. I guess it has its merits. Like those big notes, like tend to give people like goosebumps and shit. Like that's that's where you get those like feelings and that that feeling of goosebumps um, gives people like a more spiritual connection Absolutely. to yep. the media. So like I could definitely see them trying to like kind of abuse that and having succeeded in at least one place. I mean, this movie made tons of fucking money yes, as you've already yeah. alluded to. It's like, um, it's, I think you said it well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it gives them goosebumps. And it, I, I was thinking of it as sense as like, they're, they're trying to manufacture like, you know, faux impact, like faux is an yes, F-A-U-X. Yeah. Like they're trying to say, it's like, Oh man, this is the rise. It's like, you know, we're tapping into your, your human musical emotions, you know? And, and, you know, if we've talked about how music can do something that, you know, so nothing really, nothing really else in the world can except maybe I don't know, like PCP or something like that. Like it gives you that <laughs> feeling deep down, you know, and and you get those tingles. It's like it's like the, my favorite songs of all time. It's like no matter when I listen to them, you know, I still get that kind of chilling feeling, that type of thing. And yeah. and this seems to be trying to manufacture that. And this, you know, also I think is going in the same sense as that. At by 2013, and certainly a lot earlier, Disney, Pixar, all these big animation studios. This is kind of what they've their their tricks of the trade have become is, you know, how do we lube our audience up to get them to feel like they're really, you know, spiritually and emotionally invested in these songs, you know, and, you know, I think we've talked about it with the um, opening scene of Up, you know, the opening scene of Searching, because the opening scene of Up and opening scene of Searching are damn near identical. Um, It's that whole thing of just like, you know, here's a quick montage, here's a quick, you know, glimpse of all the big emotional beats that you need, and then when, you know, we get the story going, you're already invested, or at least, you know, it's like fishing, you know, they've put the hook in your mouth and you're ready to trail them along and you're the stupid fish mm-hmm. that still thinks there's something on the end of that line, not just a sharp hook, you know, stabbing through your mouth. And of course, it's not always the sharpest hook because, of course, searching, you know, goes off to be one of the greatest things ever. Um, up, I haven't seen right. it forever. But, you know, back to Disney and stuff, that it seems like that's their toolbox. They know how to do that so well that it resonates. And hey, I don't fault them for that. I, I mean, I personally, when I recognize it, I'm always like, it's a little, you know, skeezy or something. But yeah. it is, you know, playing with emotions and they know how to do it and they know how to do it better than anybody goddamn else. They're master manipulators. 
Definitely. I mean, and that's, that is kind of what they bank on is Mm -hmm. that ability to manipulate people. And I, I also find it TV. I am not a fan of, of this idea of like, we can emulate emotions in people and then have that be the reason that, that we're like well liked and remembered. It's not a, not a great thing for me, uh, which I guess is one of the reasons that like on this rewatch, it's like, I'm, I'm even maybe a little less impressed with let it go. Um, because of the lack of substance to it, it's like, okay, like the, this, let it go is a, they're just trying to, to evoke chills in somebody because that is a feeling somebody will come back for. Yes. And it's like, I, you know, and, and let it go is like, it's one of those empowering songs. She's like, let it go. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to let, let go of the chains that bind me essentially. Like, that's not what she says, but that's essentially what she's getting at. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And that's an empowering thing. And it's, it's awesome. Um, it is one of those messages that is, uh, great sometimes and also should be given with a, a gentle touch, I guess, maybe is how I want to say that it's, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes that there are chains that bind us that are good. Uh, if that makes sense, like for society, societally speaking, like there are certain things that we need to restrict about ourselves sure, so that we can fit into a society. So I, I think, you know, obviously there are times where letting it go, letting go of those chains is a good thing. And there are other times where letting go of those chains is, is really dangerous and you probably shouldn't do it or you definitely shouldn't do it lightly. <laughs> um, so I so I also take some issue with just like that being a general message from this song of just like let it go. You know, like some I I feel like it's not too off or, or too, uh, you know, much of a stretch for somebody to be like, oh, I, I don't have to hide my feelings anymore. Like I can just throw tantrums. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I, I kind of, I kind of don't love that, but at the same time, you know, that empowerment of like, yes, I can release the chains that are not good for me. Absolutely. And in which case, you know, th- that's great. So. Yeah. And, and the movie does, you know, set it up. Uh, I, I mean, this is something I want to get into a lot more, but the movie sets it up well in the sense that, you know, in that opening montage, when they when Disney starts their manipulation, we have the whole thing, you know, at the like, like it's like the first 11 minutes from, you know, start of the movie when they're kids up to, you know, Coronation Day, maybe 12 minutes or something like that. You have the whole thing where the parents are just like, Elsa, you're a freak. You got to stay in your room and wear your gloves and bottle this down. And even at the beginning, yeah. when when what the dad, the father's like, you know, uh, the father voiced by Maurice LaMarche, very famously the voice of uh, uh, the brain from Pinky and the Brain. Um, but he's like, you know, don't show it. Or he's like, conceal it. Don't feel it. Don't Concealed, show it. Don't feel and I'm yeah. like, this is this is abusive. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But that's part um, of the manipulation. It's supposed to be over the top abusive, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you ha- you have to know it's abusive so that you can know her th- throwing off the shackles is a good thing. Yes, uh, yes. And I guess that that kind of is a decent point to, towards you know my criticism of it is that it's not always a good thing to to kind of throw off whatever you think may be shackles, but they do kind of heavy-handedly show us that th- these are bad shackles. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Bad there's, there's some sh- <laughs> there's some there's some good shackles. You know, um, if you have the desire to eat people, maybe keep that shackled. You know, maybe uh, yes, don't yeah. just go out eating people. <laughs> if you are sexually attracted to children, you know, leave that shackle on that stops you from touching children. Yeah, like yeah. that's. So uh, the, those are some extreme examples. Exactly. But. Yes. Yes. But the tantrum one you said is a good one. You know. Um, yeah. You know, throwing a throwing hissy fits in public places and things like that. Right. Um, 
you know, uh, the maybe another example that we live in these uh, live with these days in these last few years is that, um, you know, maybe you you shouldn't just spout your opinions when you're at a gas station or a grocery store or something <laughs> sure. like that. You know, don't yeah. you know, don't say, you know, it's like you you go. I'm imagining it had to have happened somewhere like when Obama was president. I'm using Obama because I like the thanks Obama meme. But, you know, imagine like someone goes to the grocery store and they try and buy something and they're like, this is three dollars. It was two dollars last year. Fucking Obama. You know, it's like don't say that to the teenager working working the cat. Anybody yeah, working the cash register. Don't give a they, shit. Yeah, exactly. You're just making people uncomfortable. Even if they agree with you, they don't care right, right then and there, you know? <laughs> right. Um No, I, yeah, totally. I'm I'm with you. I, I I'm reminded of like being out with, with people and them just like making comments to strangers. I'm just like, why are you doing this? This, that stranger does not want to hear whatever you have to say about what you thought their teddy bear was. <laughs> yes. Like yes. they don't – all that's going to happen is they're going to be like, did you say something to me? And then you're going to have to repeat yourself and then they're still not going to care. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be like, oh, thanks for wasting my time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. So – but yeah. Absolutely. So also on the topic of the song, since we didn't get to do any musicals back in um, uh, February – we did do one on the Patreon. We had our tie-in. It was a fan request. We covered Eight Crazy Nights. Um, this didn't come up, which is a musical. Um, this this point I want to bring up didn't come up in that discussion because Ben and I had other things to discuss with um, Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights. But something that I think musicals should do, and I think the great musicals do well, and I'm interested to see if you've ever heard this before, is that there is some internal logic for, for a musical about why they're, they're singing. So what I mean is, like, maybe there's a bad musical where it's like, oh, I just took a story and I just put songs in. And, and you know, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but, but good musicals, I think, they, they have some internal logic of the emotional impact. So, so I guess the best way to condense what I'm saying is, I think in a good musical, the moments when there are songs is that the characters are experiencing such extreme emotions that they have no other way to process it than with a song. And okay. I think that mus- good musicals do that well. And I think this movie is an example of that. Like, um, you know, Coronation Day song, where Anna finally gets to go out and all that stuff, and she's just kind of overwhelmed with this experience. So how does she handle it? She bursts into song. Um, you know, right. same thing with the, um, the Love is an Open Door song. I think same with the Olaf song, when he's learning about the new idea of summer and heat, because he likes warm hugs and whatever the hell that is. Um, yeah. But I think this movie does that really, really well. Uh, I know back when... Uh, when we Zach and I did music movies first, um, one of the ones I picked was Little Shop of Horrors, the musical version, not the 1960s Roger Corman version. But I think that is a very similar thing where, you know, the, there's, the songs happen in that musical when they get, you know, the characters are experiencing such strong emotion. Um, I mean, there's that's a comedy, and there's a very, very funny song where Steve Martin plays the dentist. Oh, Ben, you would love... There's this one musical in Little Shop of Horrors where it starts with, like, Steve Martin, and he's in his leather jacket, and he's on a motorcycle, and he's talking about how he's like when I was young I used to like torture animals and like beat up other kids and he's talking about like really like psychopathic shit and he's like my mother said she's like you're never going to amount to anything in this world like what are you going to do for a living and then he gets off the motorbike takes off his leather jacket and he goes that's why I'm a dentist you know and and, and it's fantastic and he's like he has all these angry emotions and there's a whole musical of him like drilling into people's mouths and causing them pain purposefully and stuff like that but even like the Skid Row song when you know I think that's one of the first musical numbers in that like all the characters they live in the slums they're very like oppressed by poverty and things like that and they have no real way to handle that other than to sing and i I think good musicals 
do that. There's some logic. Maybe when I say internal, I mean internal to the structure of a musical, maybe not the movie itself. But there's some extreme emotion that has to be funneled through song. That, you know, the song makes it more impactful than characters just saying. Like, imagine if this wasn't a musical. Anna would say something like, I'm so excited to finally go out today. And it'd be like, yeah, okay, I get that now. It came across, you said it, I understand it. But here we get a whole, like, two, two and a half minutes about it, and it really resonates that she's feeling so strongly. Yeah. No, okay, I, I definitely am picking up what you're putting down. Um, I I also, um, ha- I have some other thoughts about musicals yeah. uh, or, or how they use music. Um, it's one of my least favorite songs, when, or things when songs feel like they're just thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I, I really like for songs to, like, forward the plot at least a little bit. Yes. Um, like I'm thinking of like secret garden. That musical is terrible. Okay. <laughs> uh, to, to, like, I think that music's terrible because the songs like a scene happens and then a song that's like related to the scene that just happened happens. And the scene then like ends and you're in a new scene, but like the, the song didn't move you forward. You know, it's, it's sure. like the song was almost like a roadblock or a speed bump more than, than, uh, a vehicle to take you somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm thinking of um, the uh, the technical foul song in Eight Crazy yeah. Nights, which is yep. while while we said in our Patreon discussion that it is a banger, like that is a fantastic song. It really has no purpose other than to just say a bunch of different reasons that Adam Sandler should be clean in Whitey's house. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect example of, of a song that doesn't really move anything forward. It doesn't move us towards anything. Yeah. Um, it's not character development or anything like that absolutely years ago i don't even remember what year this was back when i was still in new york i got the chance to see um i was probably off broadway because we weren't fancy enough for broadway tickets but i got the chance to see um how to succeed in business without really trying um with daniel radcliffe actually it might have been on broadway someone got us tickets but anyway there's a there's a song in that it was a musical it's a broadway musical of course and there's a song in that and it's the only song i remember from the entire play because it's so catchy and it was about like a bunch of business people or office workers and they're like if i don't take my coffee break and you know that was like the hook of the song and it's about them like needing coffee to get through the day like it was a catchy fucking song but it served no purpose like none of the main cast was in that song it was thrown in there just to be like a catchy tune and i hated it but it's the only song that i remember from the goddamn thing so there is that balance of you know i yes i want i i think we're both saying we want the best of both worlds we want it to be good a good song and to forward the plot to have a, a purpose right and if and if especially if it helps the character emotionally grow or develop their understanding, even like you know helping them develop their understanding of situations or themselves or whatever, yes, like that's that's always like a good place for a song in a musical. But coffee break, we don't need that. Yeah. Do you think? Because I didn't write all the uh, songs. Might down. need a coffee break. Um, well, yes, we don't need a whole song about it. Um, do you think there are any songs in in Frozen that don't forward the plot? I'm trying to think back because even. I think the Olaf song, I'm trying to, th- I, all the ones I'm remembering at least, I think do forward the plot to some extent or give some character development. Do you think there are any that don't hit that mark that we're talking about? No, I, I think okay. like there's lots of stuff with Elsa and Anna where it's like that is their confrontation. There's stuff with, with Anna where she's like coming to terms with Elsa not being available to her anymore as a sister. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, you know, o- Olaf's song like that. That one's the closest to one that doesn't really forward the plot, but it definitely does because it explains Olaf's motivation for wanting to help them. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, like, 
I, overall, I would say like this this musical probably gets like a ten out of ten for the songs being purposeful. Yeah, I think um, I think they're earned. Maybe you know... Fixer Upper, as good as much as that is one of my favorite songs. Maybe that one doesn't for the plot as much. It's just kind of like an aside. Like they get to the trolls and they're like, "We think you guys should be together," and then he's like, "We actually have a problem." <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so like it kind of does set up the the whole thing where he goes back for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so even that one, it's like you know, it, it, at the moment, it's not necessarily advancing the plot, but it is setting up. Yeah. an emotional payoff later. Yeah, and that's a good uh, point. I think, and I think that's just as fine as, as you know, forwarding yeah. the plot, setting something up for later. And at least, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe that's another um, kind of. I, I I don't know a ton of these Disney musicals as as probably well as I should, but you know, even the old ones, like I haven't seen, you know, Lion King, Little Mermaid, Hercules, and so goddamn long. But I mean, I. I'm fine with the the fact that, you know, when, like you said, when Kristoff, you know, comes back to save Anna and it turns out that, like, Anna and him are the ones who are supposed to be in love and not her and Hans, um, that, that, you know, we don't need a song there because the song's already been, the, has been done. It's been established. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a great, you know, when they're, this is animation, of course, they, the, Jesus Christ, I mean, with how successful this movie is, if you go to the Wikipedia page and all the, there's like hundreds of citations, there's so much you can read about how this movie was animated, and, you know, it's an animated movie, of course, so they have to storyboard a lot, they have to plan a ton of things out before they actually get to animating, because it's so time-consuming and expensive, but, I mean, maybe that's part of the magic of, of Disney, once again, and Pixar, these animated um, groups, and I know this isn't a Pixar movie, but just lumping them in there, that they have this kind of great sense of, you know, geography, or maybe graph theory, or puzzle pieces, is they know where they need their songs they know how much time can be between them and if certain things don't really you know end up the way that they they don't work or click the right way well yeah maybe we don't need a song here to explain it let's throw it in somewhere earlier and set it up there because by the time you get to the payoff you still remember that song well and and especially with like that being the kind of climactic scene of the movie if they had taken a break to tell us that Christoph mm. and, and Anna were in love it'd be like this this is where this movie just hits a wall. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. So by doing it earlier, they avoid that break in momentum. And the, I mean, that's like we've discussed a number of times, like when movies lose momentum, it's like it's jarring. And sometimes it's rough to continue beyond that point. And they manage to not lose momentum there uh, by having set it up earlier. Absolutely, and I think that the, what you just said hits the nail on the head with what I was saying before about how you know you should have a song when the emotions become so extreme. By the climax of the movie, all the emotions are extreme. If you threw a song in, it'd be like, well, no, it's like the emotions, like heightened tensions are already heightened. We know that this is the climax of the movie, and you said we would have lost momentum, and you know, there's no real nowhere else to go up. We're already all set up with how you know um, right. exciting everything is. Right. I'm also thinking, you know, the the big showdown on the frozen lake where they just all stop and start singing. <laughs> yeah, that would some be... animals pop out of the water and dance or whatever. Right, it would have been yes. like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it just it just would have, like, with everything the way everything was, and and timing being urgent and sensitive, it's like we don't have time to stop and sing. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. she's gonna freeze to death or some shit, or get a frozen heart or 
turn into the crystal dude from X-Men or whatever the hell happens to her. Sure, um, sure. I'm, it know, also so. just dawned on me that I think I've been cursing quite a bit. Um, I, we do have the explicit tag on Spotify and Podbean. I hope no one, no family and their kids are like, let's listen to a podcast about Frozen. And I start with saying, you know that 2010 movie? It's SEO is fucked to death, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I can't imagine that anybody's looking up Frozen content right now. I can't imagine either. I would also be interested to see if there's any family with young kids in the like age of Frozen um, or you know anything of that of that na- nature, and they're like, you know, did you like that movie, Sally? Now let's find a podcast about it. You know. <laughs> yeah, that would be that'd be interesting. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's that's one way to teach share the love of podcasts you have with your yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking. Uh, I know my friends with young kids, and they're like, I, I I always ask them. I'm like, you know, what do you have to watch? And you know, like TV shows or movies? And they're like, well, yeah, you know, I'll put something on TV, but half the time the kid's not paying attention to it. You know, imagine having trouble, you know, paying attention as a young kid paying attention to TV and then listening to something. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Kids are not fully paying attention. Yes, yes. but yeah, that was a, that was a quick aside. But yes, this is this is great. I mean, I'm sure when Zach and I did way back when the thomas and the thomas the tank engine episode you know i'm sure i cursed up a storm there as well so nothing new but <laughs> probably should have thought of that earlier <laughs> uh well so the, the thing you said about kids and paying attention to movies though that did kind of remind me like you, you had mentioned like the rewatchability this has for children mm-hmm. and there, there's a number of reasons that that movies are rewatchable for children uh but like one of the primary reasons is that kids are hungry for information that teaches them how to exist sure. in the world. Um, and so movies that have moral messages that are at, like, that the kid can at least believe to be useful while watching, like kids will come back and watch those movies again and again to just try to better understand interpersonal relationships in reality. Sure. Sure. I know for me, when I was young, I watched Hercules a lot. Like that was my sure. movie back in the day. And I don't really, I have to, I should go back and revisit it because I still like it. I mean, I like, it's the, I think the only world that's in all the Kingdom Hearts games, at least the main ones. Um, but so, uh, you know, I remember just going like watching that on repeat. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, um, so speaking of Frozen, because I, I this is the thing I heard. Like when Frozen came out in the years to follow, you heard the thing where you'd have um, everybody, you know, whether it just be people on the Twitter sphere, on you know Facebook, and just regular you know families and stuff like that, them saying, "Oh, my kid just wants to watch Searching" over and over and over, and then even celebrities, you know, said the same thing. They're like, "My kids just want to watch it over and over and over." I think the one that always got me the most was that Vince Vaughn and his kids. Like his kids love Frozen, and I'm like, I just find it so funny to think of Vince Vaughn sitting in his living room with his kid like rubbing his temples having to watch frozen for the 50th time or something like that <laughs> uh there's actually a song by suppose where he talks about being cooped up because of coronavirus oh and he okay. says he says something like if you put on frozen 2 again i'm gonna cancel disney plus <laughs> <laughs> i can't even watch the celtics out my dome cool down i can't drive to dunkin donuts my kids homeschooled now you're always on the couch freaking living it up you put on frozen 2 again i'm gonna cancel disney plus <laughs> nice <laughs> And I I love – I just love that joke. Anything that gets, like, played to death, I I mean, I I find that so funny. And many of the Letterboxd reviews that are for this movie, uh, Frozen, say things like that. And I didn't write any one down because there's there's a ton. Like, if you just go to the reviews and read them all, you'll see a bunch. But they all say things along the lines of, you know, like – like someone will just like give a star rating and then the review will be like man this movie really opens up after the 437th viewing like i finally yeah. cracked it 
<laughs> right on. I think that I don't remember if it was Frozen specifically, but I remember there was some year, like end of end of quarter or end of year or something, where Netflix re- released some data, and it was a headline because it was like Netflix reports that like someone watched. Let's just use Frozen as the placeholder. It might have been some other kids' movie, but it was like Netflix reports some user watched Frozen for like three thousand hours this year or something like that. Oh god! And and they were like, we need to find this person. We need to figure out like, are they okay? Are they being held hostage and things like that? You know. <laughs> um, but I, I just love love that joke in general. I thought that was just a goofy a goofy fun time. <laughs> sure. Hey kids, so it actually turns out that the instance of someone watching a movie an incredible number of times on Netflix was when in 2017, a apparently some mother had on her Netflix account B-Movie 357 times in a year. Also, according to this Daily Mail article about it, it says that the baby uh, throws a hissy fit and a tantrum whenever B-Movie is not on the television. I think that is a problem. But it also turns out that while I was looking into this, that somebody uh, actually, I think in the same year, maybe one year later, um, watched a different movie a huge amount of times, actually 352 times in one year, and that movie was Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. Didn't expect that one. So there you have it. People are, unfortunately, watching the same thing nearly every day uh, for whatever reason. I'm glad you reminded me of Fixer Upper. That was one I didn't write down. But yeah, that is that is probably the, the catchiest one there. And I think on that point, the rock trolls. They're just called trolls. I call them rock trolls because they're little rocks, you know, whatever. In terms of the animation, if there's anything else you want to say about the music, of course, you know, bring it up or we can get back to it or, or something like that. But in terms of the animation... I don't think this is a bad-looking movie by any means. I mean, Disney and Pixar, once again, I know this isn't Pixar, but Disney and Pixar, they have come a long, long way. Like, I think back to that first Toy Story. Like, the humans in that first Toy Story look like demons. Like, they have (laughs) clearly not figured things out yet with human faces. (laughs) Yeah. This, I think, you know, it's better, but I do objectively think, well, one, I think Elsa's eyes are too big. I think Elsa sure. looks really alien. Like, you know, she looks like the, the, the gray, you know, type of weird, you know, uh, guitar pick shaped head with the giant eyes. Like, her eyes are a little too big for me. All the other characters are fine. But of course, that's a Disney animated princess thing. All the men look relatively realistic. All the women have the biggest eyes and eyelashes that you've ever goddamn seen, you know, that type of yeah. thing. Um, but I have to say. It's, it's actually tough to make drawings of things look feminine. And that's one of the tricks that they use is like big eyes and big eyelashes. Sure, and when it's so. in a uh, when it's in an earlier kids project or a little more of an adult project. Once again, everybody check out our Patreon. We did an episode on Rockadoodle. You got to make the the girl chicken. Well, you give her tits, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I I think though while I don't have a problem with the animation, this is a beautiful movie, and I I want to talk about the snow, the animated snow in this movie. Um, but I think. The, the non-human things look infinitely better than the human things. So I think the only example of that we get in here is the rock troll. And sure, there's um, Marshmallow, the snow golem. I know yeah. that there's only – I didn't know this, but there's only one point in the movie when Olaf calls the snow golem Marshmallow. 
in in Kingdom Hearts 3, when you play through Arendelle, you get him on your team, the Snow Golem, and he's called Marshmallow. So oh, I okay. so I thought he was like officially named Marshmallow in the movie at some point, but I was like, oh, they only call him that once. Um, so he's Marshmallow to me. But I, you know, he's non-human. He looks great. He just looks like a big hulking Snow Golem. Like he looks like a Snow Titan from like a Rock Titan from Hercules. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but the trolls look fantastic. Like they look so realistic in the sense that they don't look like CGI. And yes, I know they're all in a CGI environment, but they don't look out of place. They don't like take me out of the immersion. Like if anything, the humans take me out of the immersion because you know, you have Elsa whose eyes are too big. You have the Duke of Weaselton who looks like a little weaselly dude, you know, um, you have Hans who is the, the strapping it's, it's prince. Weaselton. Um, I, I do have to say, I didn't, I didn't know this cause I've never seen Zootopia, but the voice of Duke of Weselton, you're absolutely right. Duke of Weselton in this movie is Alan Tudyk, one of the greatest voice actors ever. Oh, um, yeah. Ben, you and I probably know him best. He is one of Tucker or Dale, not the fat one in Tucker and Dale versus. Evil. Yeah, he he's also Wash from Firefly. Yes, of of course you would know him from Firefly. Definitely. Yeah. Um, he is yeah, the I voice of the chicken in Moana, and yes, the yep. chicken that has no lines of dialogue except clucking. He does that. Um, you know, Sonny the robot and I robot. Uh, Alan Tudyk is a fantastic actor, fantastic voice actor, but he's the voice of the Duke of Wesselton in this movie. In Zoot, and of course, as as I've been making the jokes, they call him the Duke of Weaselton, and he's like, "It's Weselton," you know, whatever. Yeah. Apparently, uh-huh. in Zootopia, Alan Tudyk voices the mayor of Weaselton, and there is a joke in Zootopia where they call it Weselton. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, interesting, interesting little flip, or a connected universe type of flip, yeah, you know, meta joke fun. there. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like all the non-human things, I think, in these modern CGI Disney movies look fantastic. Like they've cracked how to make these look so good and so real and not break immersion. Like, I, like I'm living I, with these trolls. It's the humans that bother me more. There's one exception I, I think to this. Early on, when Anna's, I, I think it's when she's happy that the gates are going to open. She has, she's interacting with some ducks, and mm. they are way brighter than they should be. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I picked up on that, but sure, sure. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's like it's when she says like something about finding the one, and then the, like the one duck scoots forward, and it's like me, you know. Oh, but yeah. it's like those ducks just look so cartoonish and and out of place. But but no, I have to agree with the rest of it. Like Olaf looks great. The the reindeer oh, yep, looks yep. great. Yeah, yeah. All the all the non-human stuff. Uh, I think even the wolves look pretty good. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a great sequence. The um the when they're uh, running from the wolves or sledding from the wolves. I thought that was like. Uh, a, a masterful thing of, you know, it's animation, so there's no camera. Well, if, if you get into the whole thing of computer-generated animation these days, there is technically a camera in the computer and stuff like that. But, right. like, it's it's just fantastic. Like, the way they had, you know, like, sweeping shots and stuff. My only problem with that scene was, like, um, Anna was, like, you know, he, she, she what? She breaks his loot to hit a hit a um a wolf. She burns his like bed to throw it at wolves yeah. and stuff like that. And I was like, what is she doing? But then of course the whole sled goes down, so it's not that big of a deal. But but still, and and at the end when she gives him the sled, she's like, I think I owe you a sled. There is a loot on the sled that uh, she she it, gives to yeah. him. And I was like, I was like, good. I was like, good looks on that. <laughs> I I definitely enjoyed uh, 
you know, he's like, stay here. And she was like, why? He's like, I don't trust your judgment. Oh, yes. It's like right after they've been having the, the conversation. She's like, you mar- you're like, you're going to get married to somebody you just met that day. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. She was like, I don't trust your judgment. I thought that was great. Yeah, there's some there's some good little jokes in this movie. Of course, you know, it's um kid and family oriented. So we're not getting anything, you know, crazy. But I mean, at the beginning of the movie. Um, when what coronation day is happening it's before the song starts you see that like that mother and her son and she's like come on we have to get ready and he's like yeah why? he's like why and she's like it's coronation day and he goes that's not my fault <laughs> yeah yeah the queen's finally of age it's coronation day yeah that's not my fault I, I, I thought that was yeah that, that was great i do have to say though that there is a a moment um that i it it i found so fucking funny like I'll just explain it. I'll put the clip in, too, because I was, I was, like, out loud laughing hysterically late last night in my apartment. It's the start of the Coronation Day song from Anna, where she, like, gets it. Well, she has to get out of bed because, you know, she overslept or whatever. Um, she gets dressed and fixes her hair, you know, in one frame, that type of thing. She runs out. She's like, it's Coronation Day. It's Coronation Day. The music starts to, like, swell up. Like, you know, the song's going to begin. And she, like, goes, she, like, prances into that main hall or whatever. And the song starts with her saying... The window is open, so's that door, and you see a window open and a door open, and something about that just like struck a nerve with me. The window is open, so's that door. I didn't know they did that anymore. Who knew we owned a thousand salad plates? I was I was like just singing the physical thing we're seeing something so basic and yes I know in the context of the movie that you know they haven't been open in so long or whatever because she says like I didn't know they could do that or something along those lines yeah she she said I didn't think they could do that anymore but just something about it man I was just like it cracked me up where she's just like the window is open so is that door I just want to hear a whole song of someone like describing what they're seeing (laughs) describing the state of their of their surroundings yes yes. Um, yeah, but I mean, the over like once I again I said you know there's there's a lot of funny stuff. Oh, the um when Anna gets to the uh, wandering Oaken's trading post and the snow oh, falls yeah. off with comic timing and she goes ooh and sauna you know. <laughs> wandering Oaken's trading post, ooh and sauna. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then of course the guy in the in the trading post. Yoo-hoo. Oh yes, yeah, that was that was definitely a little weird. But I, I did like that. You know, he stands up and throws um, Kristoff out. He's like, "What did you call me?" After he gets called a crook, that type of thing. Yeah, then that, that's all. That's all good fun. I I do have to say though, something. It wasn't the worst, but it was something that you know started to grate on me a little bit. But I think it goes away once um you know they get to the top of the North Mountain and find Elsa again. The um the oh so quirky nature of Anna. Like when she's, you know, kind of being a little too, uh, maybe not brass or, or, you know, aggressive or something like that. But how she's like trying to, like, I'm thinking of the scene where um, she goes to Kristoff when him and Sven are in the... um in the little hut outside of the uh, the trading post, and she comes in and she like throws shit at him, and she's like, you know, you take me to the mountain, you know, and then he's like, okay, we'll leave in the morning, and she's like, no, we leave now, and then she goes outside and she's like, <gasps> you know, or whatever, and and there's just a, some moments where she's like a little too like like the oh so quirkiness type of thing, and I think that's something that comes up in a lot of kids media more recently in the last few years, where it's just like, oh, you know, how do we relate to this female character? Well, she's a goofball and she falls down and stuff like that and that gets just a little tiresome for me but it doesn't wear itself off because once they find elsa i think the movie just picks right back up again i i kind of took that more like less as her being quirky and more as her trying to be assertive 
In in that scene, absolutely, with Kristoff, um, you know, maybe some other examples are uh, maybe the whole thing when her and Hans are, like, falling on each other and she's really just, like, you know... Oh, this is awkward. This not is awkward. awkward. Not you're awkward, yeah. you know, that type of thing. Like, like, yeah. like, little sprinkles of it, like, here and there throughout that first, that, like, maybe first half of the movie. Sure. But like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't get too bad because they fix it. You know, once she's struck in the heart by the ice, which they set up early in the movie, you know, perfectly fine. You know, once they get that going, they then, you know, she's just kind of, like in her element and she knows what she has to do and um and it all it all it all clicks you know it's like like i said it's a good movie it's just not my movie um but you know um oh oh i just saw this in my notes it's a, it's a disney animated princess movie i have to say it there's some cute shit in this movie when anna falls and she uh you know what the the horse leaves her and then she like sees the smoke and she's like fire and she runs towards the outpost and she falls down the hill and she lands in the water and then there's the yeah. shot of her walking with the frozen dress that is some cute kids shit right there <laughs> sure well and even like she's going up the stairs and she like has to lean back to get the dress <laughs> yeah. up over the stairs yeah i love that stuff you know <laughs> true that's like good like playing with animation like using what you can do like using this um the the elements of the movie you set up and and okay so like i said uh you once again if you go to the wikipedia you can read the wikipedia you can go through the slew of articles that are written about the animation of this movie something i did not know because i think it's so well done you're not supposed to notice it is that a huge chunk of the the animation budget, the technology budget also, you know, not even just the actual animation, but preparing for the animation, went to creating new software to simulate the physics of snow. Oh, shit. And I have to say, it worked fantastically, because at no point in this movie was I ever distracted by the snow. It never came across as wonky, it never came across as something where I was like, oh, that's not how snow works, where I might feel that way in, you know, like, um, thinking of, uh, Aquaman, you know, the DC universe, like the Jason Momoa Aquaman, like some of the CGI with the water in that looks janky as all hell. And it's it's just weird. And it's it's off putting because it's just like, what are they in Vaseline? They're not in water. Um, but this right. I never noticed the snow. It never bothered me. And after I did my research after watching the movie and I'm reading about this stuff. I'm like, oh, man, they put so much time and money into, like, simulating the physics of snow, making sure it acted like real snow. There's all these interviews with, like, the, the software engineers and stuff, and even, like, the, um, the physicists they had work on it, like, interviews where they're, like, you know, very, you know, generally talking about, you know, it's like, well, snow is not a, like, snow has to act this way because it's not really liquid. It's more of a solid, but it can powder. It, like, has to break up. It has to be very natural. And depending on how you fall on snow, it acts in different ways. Depending on the density of the snow, it acts different ways or the moisture. Or whatever the hell it is and i'm like oh my god that's so cool because i think back to now in the movie like you get um like scenes of of Kristoff walking through the snow and you can see like you know when he when he lifts his foot up the footprint's still there but some of the snow kind of falls and caves in like it doesn't just leave like a clean footprint or anything like that yeah. um it's it was just fantastic and i think that's a testament like me not noticing it and just being like oh yeah it's snow like, it's a testament to that's what they wanted they wanted it to be a real world and they achieved it immaculately definitely uh, that kind of puts me in mind of i i think it was the lord of the rings movies where they like created a new way to like simulate fire probably that's that probably that sounds right they did a lot of weta digital did a lot of new stuff for those movies so sure it was probably fire water snow the whole you know motion capture golem stuff like that or whatever the hell that was considered um but yeah yeah absolutely so th that's the stuff I, I have to give you know not only is this a good movie but props to all the work that goes into creating something this realistic you know with the physics of it and um 
And I, I think that's another good thing. I, I as much as we say it's it's you know weird and shady that Disney you know is such a master manipulator with the emotions. They got the money and they're putting the time in to advance this technology. I mean, even Pixar, like Monsters Inc., I think is responsible for still a lot of the foundation of like fur, like animated fur in movies and stuff like that. Okay, well, I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> prior to that, most fur was kind of animated as a solid. Yeah, it's just it's just you know like just kind of a, a layer or something like that. Yeah, I think um what Sully the the big blue yeah Sully not yeah he's Wazowski, got... he's the um the big blue furry one and it's like there's some great tests. I know I've mentioned on the podcast before. I can go and watch like you know Monsters Inc like uh, CGI tests and stuff like that, and them developing the software to how to like you know put a layer of fur on him and the fur would move like fur. And there's all these tests of where they're like, okay, now make the uh, skeleton of Sully move, and like the fur wouldn't work well. It all spaz out and shit like that, you know. And it's 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 some of the most fantastically intriguing stuff. I mean, th- I just wish I had the time to really read and the knowledge more about to read all the details of the animation of this stuff. Cause it's fantastic. I mean, you know, and this is another big step up. Oh, I'm, I'm glad I remember this. Cause I wanted to ask you, this is three years after, I believe three years after tangled, which is also in a very similar CGI setting. And I think this is a big step up from tangled, at least from what I've seen. I've never seen tangled in full. Have you seen that one? I have seen. Tangled. Okay. Do you, th- do, would you say that that's correct? That this is somewhat of an improvement on the CGI or, or is it kind of similar from what you remember? I don't know when the last time you... I don't even know if Tangled's a musical. <laughs> with respect to the humans, I would say it's pretty similar. With respect to the non-humans, I would say Frozen's better. Okay, okay, right on. Yeah, because what are the... Because the non-humans are what... I know there's the horse in Tangled. I know there's a witch. Maybe she has some weird effects. But are there any, like, myth- mythical creatures like the trolls in Tangled? I, I don't think so. Okay. I think I think we do get some, like, wild critters oh sure sure yep yep okay yeah tangled you also play through in kingdom hearts 3 so that's how i know that story as well (laughs) she has tangled hair and they have to find the magical brush to untangle it right uh yeah i think that's you know it's like 20 minutes you know (laughs) just a bit (laughs) oh man yeah so i mean like the whole thing with the snow is fantastic this is a very well animated movie um elsa's eyes are too big that's the only thing i wanted to say once again um it's it's really really interesting so i I, like I said, I, I'm glad I got to see it. I have one thing that I've always heard about this movie that I wanted to bring up and pick your brain on, and this is going to be our little, uh, our little, you know, more philosophical corner of things. But before we got to that, Ben, was there any other moments or any songs that you wanted to highlight? Anything, you know, else of the unexpected love? Or now, now that you've explained it, it's no longer unexpected. We've established the love for this movie. Anything else you wanted to point out? Uh, honestly, you pointed out, like, the ice thing and the kids saying it's not my fault. Like, those were two of, the, like, the, the really, like, <laughs> Just, just tiny instances of, of good comedy that I that I was going to point out. The, I, I, I do. I guess I, I guess I kind of enjoy like the fight scenes, so to speak, with Elsa, where she's like using her ice powers to stop people from shooting her with uh with crossbows. Oh yeah, that was great. That was like um a great point in the where you know the um the music was there. Like the score is very much you know it's it's very present, and you know you have this great music, and you know just this kind of you know. Not really silent, you know, there's some dialogue, but her, you know, really using her powers to stop what the two dudes from from uh, crossbowing her and stabbing her or whatever. Yeah, that was a great sequence. Yeah, so I, I like that sequence. And then, like, I, I like Marshmallow. I'm pretty I'm pretty partial to Marshmallow. Okay. Um, and there, there's this, that scene where Olaf is, like, on Marshmallow's leg. He's like, this isn't doing anything. Yes, uh, yes. Which I thought that was, that was kind of funny. I did, speaking of Marshmallow, I did, I didn't really get the whole thing where... 
like uh, so uh, Elsa creates uh, Marshmallow to get Kristoff, uh, Olaf, and uh, Anna out of the castle, and he does. Marshmallow like picks him up, drops him off out front. He starts to go back inside the castle, and what Anna throws a snowball, and so Marshmallow turns around and like starts chasing them, and they all run. And I'm like, okay, you know, she pissed him off. He's uh, Marshmallow is chasing them now, that type of thing. They go through the whole chase scene. There's some cool stuff. I really like that little moment where Kristoff builds the uh, snow anchor and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, he's so good at the like his element of being around the ice and the snow and stuff like that. But then they go out. They're like rappelling down the cliff or whatever with the with the rope. And like Marshmallow gets there and he starts pulling the rope back up. And I'm like, oh, no, he got him. And he picks him up and he says, don't come back and then drops him again. And I was yeah. like, and I was like, what? I was like, that's what they were doing. They were trying to leave. They were going to be down this fucking cliff. Like, like you could have left them alone at that point, right? I, I guess he could have thought that her throwing the snowball was an act of defiance and she might come back once he stopped chasing them. Uh, so he wanted to, to actually get the message across more, that's maybe. That's got to be what it's going for, right? You know? Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of with you that I think it's, it's kind of goofy that he chased them at all. Yeah, yeah, because I thought when he caught them, he was going to, like, take them and put them in, like, an ice cage or something, you know? Yeah, I I don't think he—I think the whole chase scene was kind of contrived. Yes, yeah, I would agree. It didn't need to happen for the story, and it didn't largely make sense, and— you could call it runtime padding, but without it, they still would have broken an hour 30, so I don't really know why they did it. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. This is not like, I mean, this is a, a decent length movie, you know? It's a, like, what, 100, 105 minutes or something like that. Um, yeah. With a, with a post credit scene of Marshmallow putting on Elsa's tiara. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> oh, no, I guess I didn't. It, it's, it's very small. It's just like Marshmallow's still in that ice castle, and he, he like steps on the tiara and then picks it up and puts it on, and that's it. But uh, that's that's all it is. Turns um, out it's like the Wish Crown, and it gives him powers, too. Oh, so. God, that would have been insane. Um, I, guess, I guess speaking of which, before I, I take my philosophical turn, did, have you seen the sequel, Frozen 2? I have not. Two, uh, Frozen 2, Freeze Harder, I guess? Uh, fro- Frozen 2, 2 Frozen. Sure. Two fro two zen. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I haven't seen it either. I think it has something to do with like them d- diving into why Elsa has powers from the little bit I looked oh, at yeah. or have heard. I think that's what it is. But I, I have, I didn't, you know, I didn't watch it last night. I watched something else. I watched a non kids movie to cleanse my palate after this. But, but okay, yeah, I was just curious. Unfrozen um, two, the great fall. The great, the great. Thaw. What's the um? Isn't one of the Ice Age movies something like Unfrozen or the or the Thaw or something? Isn't it about like the I, Ice I'm Age sure. ending? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But yeah, so um, I mentioned earlier, this is uh, Frozen. Frozen is the third highest grossing animated movie of all time. Number two is the sequel, Frozen Two. Uh, number one is the Lion King remake from 2019. Oh god. The really? photo yeah, the photorealistic Lion King is the highest grossing animated movie. And I don't even really like calling it an animated movie because it's like like maybe it is animated. It's all CGI. It's just made photorealistic. But the way I see that, Ben, is how I've talked to you about um those artists that can draw photorealistic pictures. Like cool. Like good for you. That is talent I don't have, and it is crazy impressive that you can do that that you with your hand and a pen can make something that looks like a photograph but at the end of the day somewhere in the back of my head i'm like i could have just looked at the photograph you know i like more of the stylization of hand-drawn art than i like it to look as realistic as possible and that's my problem with the the 2019 lion king 
I mean, that was during the pandemic. How did this? How did that movie make more money than Frozen? Well, I think it would have been right before, since it was 2019. Oh, okay. every, everything shut. I think it was like or end of 2019, so maybe like November and then into the Christmas season. So it was probably like the last big push Disney okay. had before um, theaters shut down in what March of 2020 or something like that. All right, that makes some, that makes more sense. Um, but I've I just, never seen that. I have no desire to see that. I mean, you know, it, I, I thought it I was, watched it. Oh, it's, okay, okay. It's not. I mean, it's not bad. It's Lion King. Uh, there, there were some changes to it that I didn't care for. Sure. sure. Um, like, there's a, a main bad bitch hyena in it that's just like not <laughs> not in the, in the animated movie. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to make it more like Hamlet or, or not. I, you know. Sure. I, I just like, remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just remember like following before that movie came out, like following all the nonsense about how they were like, Oh, we're making it photorealistic and we're going to make these changes and, you know, Beyonce coming on and this, that, the other thing. And, you know, one of the things they said was like, Oh, we're making this change. And I think the one I think of, they were like, I like this lion, you know, Mufasa or whoever, you know, might've been scar might've been someone, but they're like, you know, we're going to change his color palette because in the actual like Sahara or wherever the lion King's supposed to take place, like lions aren't red. And I'm like, and I'm like, is the lion gonna sing a fucking song? Because I don't do that either. Like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. That was just I, that that whole decision to do that baffled me. And I haven't, I didn't see the um the live action or the 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 photorealistic Jungle Book either. But um, that I know that did pretty well. But the Lion King, you know, everybody loves the Lion King. It seems. Yeah, I I think they did a good job with Scar. They they definitely made him like a different color, uh, but he's. He's still different enough from the other lions that you can tell he's not part of the main pride or whatever. Okay. I think, I think they did a fine job with it. I, I do think in photorealist, like, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, do you want to see Hugh Jackman in a yellow and blue spandex suit? <laughs> or or do you want to see him in the black leather that they put him in in the first X-Men movie? Sure. You know, it's like, I, I, I think I could see why they wouldn't want to make, like, a red photorealistic lion. Yep, yep, I hear you, I hear you. Oh, some other things I, I noticed I wanted to mention. So the voice of the elder rock troll, Grand, Grand Pebble. Grand Pabby. Pabby, yeah, um, is uh, Siren Hines, who, Ben, we know as the bad guy from Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. He's the one looking for Pandora's box in that movie. I thought that was interesting that he plays. Uh, he played a villain many, many years ago. Um, also, something I wanted to pick your brain on, let's say that they never stopped Elsa from this, like, never-ending winter would she like end the world like would she freeze the world would the ice age come on i wanted to see what would happen if they didn't stop her from like perpetuating endless winter you know what i'm saying um i do i so i'm a little confused uh or not confused just like without the knowledge of the degree to, of her powers like sure obviously her powers are insane because she can freeze an entire city from like really far away because she's in the mountains the north mountains Mm-hmm. So I I don't know like it, would it have kept expanding I'm not sure does it use her energy resources to to happen I don't know does she age faster because of it I hopefully <laughs> okay. uh, you know I I don't know I it's her, her the, the her powers are are very mysterious to me do I like what what do I think should happen I think it, my my general kind of feelings about magic systems is that they should have a cost to the user sure. Um, because I, I think that if they don't have a cost to the user, they're just OP, and, you know, it's like, that's, you know, the reason Superman's not my favorite, mm-hmm. it's just OP. So I, I think that 
eventually her having this perpetuating litter should have killed her. If like just because she didn't have the energy to maintain it or whatever. That's that's where I would go with that. Okay. Like, I don't know if there's any kind of canon explanation of her powers. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I didn't look into it either, but I as I near the end of the movie when it was like getting crazy, you know, like uh I think, you know, when she gets she goes back to um Arendelle or whatever and she's down from the North Mountain and like like the whole cat, like the not the ice castle, the actual castle in Arendelle was like freezing and breaking apart and stuff like that. I'm just like, is she just gonna kill everybody? Like, is she gonna make humans go extinct or something? Like, would she be the last one left? Because she seems this is actually the movie that immediately precedes Ice Age. Ah, okay, okay. Even though I think Ice Age was what DreamWorks or something. DreamWorks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little-known fact. This is a crossover. Shared universe. Shared universe. <laughs> I speaking of shared universe, though, I. I I don't know if it's canon, but I know I've heard people talk about it, that Elsa and Anne's, Anne's parents, like, when their ship sinks, like, that's the ship that Tarzan's on. Oh, interesting. I did not think of that, but I should have, because this movie's directed by two people, Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. Jennifer Lee also wrote it. Jennifer Lee, this is her first directing thing ever, but Chris Buck directed Tarzan back okay, in 1999. Yeah. I I like that idea. Okay, right on, right on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think people even go so far as to say that, that Elsa and Anne's, Anne's parents are Tarzan's parents, but like I don't know where they had a baby at sure. any point in that process. Furthermore, uh, they say something like, I'll be back in two weeks, and then they go sailing uh, across an ocean. Yeah, yeah, uh, I did notice that, yeah. <laughs> don't know where you're going to go and get back from in two weeks. <laughs> don't, Definitely. Not sure, you know, because it takes months to get across oceans. <laughs> When you were when you were saying that thing about the ship sinking, I, for some reason I thought you were going to say, I've also read somewhere, or I've also heard that some people think that Anna and Elsa's parents are Tarzan. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, they yeah, melded them, into them together. Tarzan. <laughs> That's why he has the long hair. Um, oh, man. <laughs> Perfect. And he, they, they melded together and turned into a baby. Yes, uh, that's an int- that's an interesting theory. I like that. I, I like. I, I mean, it's some it's some like cracked dot com bullshit, but it's fun to think about, you know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So even though I only saw this movie last night and knew the story through cultural osmosis, Kingdom Hearts three, Kingdom Hearts three was what four, three, four years ago now, something like that. I had always known one thing about this movie, at least how a certain group of people perceived it, or maybe multiple groups of people. But I wanted to pick your brain. Ben, do you think this movie is queer coded? Do you think this is a movie about coming out of the closet? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, so let me. I did some research into this because this was the thing. This is the always thing I heard um, is that you know there there's some gay coding, queer coding. I don't know what the proper term is, so I apologize. Uh, and undertones in this movie and the sequel. I've heard a little bit more about the sequel, I think, but this one too. Um, whether it be specifically like Elsa being a lesbian or it be homosexuality in general, I've, I've seen that. And so when I went into this movie watching it fully last night, I kind of had that in the back of my head where I was like, you know, okay, let me, let me see if I can, you know, pick up on some of this. And I have to say, in the right, under the right lens or through the right lens, I can understand where they're coming from. So just hear me out, at least, you know, from what I saw and what I read online and what I've heard from people. You know, the, the the parents telling her to hide hide her powers away or hide it away. And, you know, the uh, the whole thing of conceal it, don't feel it, don't show it, that nature. I, I want to point out before you even say this sure. that her powers were something that she used to enjoy with her little sister. Are you suggesting that that is incest? 
I did not think of that. I don't think the community, the LGBTQ community, thinks of it that way either, but that is a good point, Ben. (laughs) That is a a valid point to bring up, and um, I will bring that up the next time. I don't know. I don't talk to anybody about Frozen anymore, but (laughs) if it ever does come up, I will will bring that up. You know, it's like, it's something that she used to enjoy her little sister, and then it hurt her little sister. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Yeah, anyway. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. But yes, hiding the powers away um because it can it can cause some problems, you know. Maybe maybe that's more of the generality, the the um the coding or the undertones, you know. Maybe less of the surface level stuff, but then you know when the people in Arendelle find out about it, she has to run away. Um, she says when Anna gets to the Northern Mountain Castle, she says she likes being isolated up there where she can be herself. You know, the whole Let It Go song, you know, talking about, like you said, releasing those chains and, and um, you know, becoming comfortable with your true self. The the thing, that uh, people asking her to bring back the summer, you know, like Anna asked her to bring back the summer. Even Han says bring back the summer. But she's like, I can't, I don't, I'm not really sure where that fits in. Uh, maybe something like, people asking her to be comfortable with herself or maybe people being like, you know, oh, just get over it. It's a phase or something like that. The the thing that really struck me with it is, you know, the, the whole movie, Elsa is keeping her powers bottled up because her parents told her to because it's so, like, jammed in her head that she has to. She's keeping her powers bottled up, but they keep coming out and they keep hurting the people around her, whether it's, you know, just people in the town or the, you know, whether it be her sister and, you know, the... Uh, uh, you know the the one she loves and that type of thing the the Arendelle itself by freezing the fjord and blocking off trade or whatever, but they keep coming out and i don 't think the movie is saying that homosexuality is hurting anyone i don 't think it 's saying it 's like oh she 's a lesbian and that 's dangerous, but the negative emotions that are are arising because it 's being bottled away are hurting others and then of course, at the end, the damage or the winter is undone by true love, an act of true love, you know, sacrifice, not just a kiss or something. Um, If this was like a a male-female kiss, I think it would undercut a lot of this, you know. Um, But it could certainly be seen, I think, as, you know, loving your true self, accepting your true self and that nature, because very quickly, once the true love happens at the end, Elsa's just like, I got control of my powers now, you know, and she's like, I've always had control, but now I accept it, or something along those lines. she, She basically is like, oh, love is the thing that falls, Yes. The, like, fear is the thing that freezes. The love is the thing that falls. Like, uh, it's kind of... I hope she doesn't have to be afraid to use her powers. Um, yeah. She never did yeah. as a kid. But anyway, yeah. Sure. So, so, so I, I totally... I could see it. You know, like I said, through the right lens, I could see it. Now, here's where I push back on this, because I, I have some thoughts about this. Whenever, whenever this happens, once again, I think it is not to belittle, you know, LGBTQ or homosexual representation or anything. Hell, I love when we get some great homosexual representation. I, I have to push back and say it's some crack.com bullshit once again, because I don't think there's a single Disney princess movie that in the modern era, wh- whether it be like Little Mermaid or earlier movies or anything like that, I don't think there's a single one, well, there probably are that I'm not thinking of, that under today's lens, you don't have some people go like, oh, this is queer-coded, or this is a, an allegory for homosexuality or something like that. Because here's the thing. All these Disney animated movies, almost all of them, I would say, they have protagonists who are social outcasts. They're different in some way. They have unusual desires re- relative to other characters in the film. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the princess movies about marriage and about like the uh, the common traditions of marriage and you know traditionality of kingdoms and things like that that want to be broken free from. And w- when you have such common themes, I I don't think it has to be 
exactly homosexuality or queer coded. I think it could just be like you were saying at the start of this entire discussion, Ben, an allegory for finding your true self and accepting who you are. Sure, that could mean you know becoming to terms with your sexuality in a in a world or a scenario or a setting where you might not feel comfortable at first or other people are making you feel uncomfortable but it could also mean you know realizing that if you're in a family of doctors you want to be a musician and breaking free of that it could yes. be the exact same thing and so that's where i think it is some i I know I really like this phrase now, crack.com bullshit. I think that applies to a lot of stuff. But I mean, like, it feels that way where people are like, oh, it has to be about sexual orientation. And it's like, no, it could be about just finding your true self in any any way, shape, or form, right? Oh, totally. And that, that's why I laugh. There's nothing about this movie that's explicitly <laughs> about sexuality. Definitely, um, definitely. In a way that makes me think, like, oh, they were really going for the gay angle. You know, like, I, if they were, it's incredibly subtle. To the point that it's all—it's not there. Like that's how subtle it is. Yes, yes. Um, yes, you could view this story as you know Elsa was closeted, she becomes uncloseted, she's happier. Like so, what, how's, so she comes like she comes out to herself, and and decides that the best way of coming out to herself is to run away from everybody else. Yeah, that, that, there's that really poignant line when she says to Anna, she's like, I like being alone because I can be true to myself, you know? And it's it's kind of like that um that stage of, you know, once again, doesn't have to be sexual orientation, it could be anything. Like, if you feel different from those around you, you're going to be like, oh, finally I'm alone, I can take that mask off, I can let my own personality yeah. flourish. It's, it's totally, like, yes, it's there. But like you said, like we were saying earlier, there are so many other things that also fit. Um, if this is about homosexuality, it doesn't really change my opinion about the movie. But I, I don't think, I don't think it's specifically about homosexuality. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely don't think so. I mean, you know, there's um, even the scene. I'm thinking when, when you're gonna, we're about to get that kiss between Anna and Hans because Anna thinks, you know, she, Hans is the one who loves her and that's her true love, and she needs to thaw her heart. But it's like it's it's like if that was where Anna pulled back and was like, oh no, I don't love you, you know, it'd be a little more read as you know maybe lesbian or something. But Hans is the one who's like, you know, maybe there is someone out there that loves you, and you get that little that nice little reveal that he's a villain. Which which I do have to say, I kind of wish I did not know that going into the movie. I knew it because of Kingdom Hearts three. They they have not that exact scene in Kingdom Hearts three, but Hans is a villain in the in the game when you play through that world story. I kind of wish I didn't know he was the villain because it is a a kind of big third act twist that Hans is like, huh, get fucked, bitch. You're going to freeze and I'm going to rule your kingdom because I'm 13th in line in my kingdom. Yeah. I would have, I, I think that's a neat twist. Uh, once again, another one of those subversions you were mentioning where like the Prince Charming ends up being the villain when the whole movie's setting it up to be uh, the Duke of Weaselton. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But then like we even get that the Anna kisses Kristoff after, like, after that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not, so like, and if it is, if there's any lesbian, you know, symbolism or whatever, it's like, what, is it between Elsa and Anna? Because like that's just incest, and <laughs> yes. I don't think that Disney does that. Definitely like, not. Yeah, not anymore. You know. Yep. Maybe absolutely. maybe once upon a time. Yeah, and that that's why I think you know whenever it comes to, once again, like I just want to reiterate, I think that you know that's why these Disney animated movies have resonated so well for decades. You know, they they have these like social outcast protagonists that have these unusual desires like i said 
Those yeah. those are near blank slates for people to project their own emotions that involve those right. things. Because well, every, everybody feels outcasted in some way or another. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And so, and then I feel like you know th- that's what Disney's doing. They're emotional manipulators, so they're going to have something that you know blank of a canvas that people can place themselves onto, and that's what makes these movies, you know, to some extent, very very successful. And you know, it's a part of why they're so successful. And then whenever you try and like bang on a certain mold on top of it, you're going to have problems. Like, you know, you just said, it's like, well, okay, is this an allegory for, you know, being a lesbian and coming out and realizing that you're a lesbian and, and like understanding your true self. And even, you know, maybe having your family understand because, you know, Anna has to understand that Elsa has these powers near the beginning, but then you're right. Anna and Kristoff kiss at the end. And so it's like, well, what do you do? Do you just sweep that under the rug or you just say, it's like, Oh no, no, that, that's, that's, uh, that's not important. You know, it, it's just very strange. And I think, you know, there needs to be more realization that Disney is this master manipulator of putting this blank canvas, like I've been saying, and letting all these people place things and their beliefs on them and then yeah. feeling so strongly about it. That's what they want you to do. <laughs> sure. Uh, and th- there's actually a song by a comedian named Bill Burnham. Uh, I think I think the song is called Repeat Stuff. It's about love songs and how love songs are really vague mm-hmm. um, so that women can project themselves into the love song. Um, that's... 100% what's going on here. Like, any outcast at high school for any reason yeah. can, can relate to this. Absolutely. Like, I mean, or any outcast in elementary school for any reason can relate to this. Definitely. Like, I haven't seen a lot of the modern Disney princess movies, so, like, I think Moana would fall into that category. I haven't seen Moana, but I've, I know a lot about it. I haven't heard anything about, you know, any any sexuality representation in that movie but i think back even you know um like i was mentioning i think under today's lens there's a lot of this for older disney movies i definitely kind of see that i'm not kind of i've read that and heard that about the little mermaid but the little mermaid most of it is her falling in love with prince eric who she met like that day you know yeah. And and it's like, well, what what does that have to do? And and you know, she can't. She also can't talk and things like that. Um, because Ursula takes her voice. And it's just, I don't know. I, there's some notion of, and like I said, the the LGBTQ community, their their goals and stuff. Most of them, I'm totally behind them. I'm totally fine with them. But man, stop trying to jam these square pegs into round holes to make it like, oh, look how important this was for us back then, but no one knew it yet. And it's like. Disney's just trying to fleece you out of much fucking money as they possibly can, you know? <laughs> yeah, and if, if Disney was making anything to support uh, gay people, it would be to make money. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure they're going to do, uh, Disney or Pixar. I'm sure there's, that's going to pop up eventually, you know, in one of their movies. I mean, I, I've, I'm just reminded of, like, a, a picture I saw of, say, you know, insert company name, like, doing awful thing to customers, and it was, like, in Pride Month rainbow flags around <laughs> awful thing to customers or, yes or what yes absolutely <laughs> it's all all it is, is is to to get you to try to relate to it is to use something that you relate to or care about to manipulate you into spending money that's what marketing is absolutely uh, yep and fucking we get used to it right like we yeah. still buy things whenever we are significantly manipulated or, or actually convinced we want them but you can never know what would have happened if you had not been manipulated because that's what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of the modern Disney princess movies, another one I wanted to ask you, have you seen Princess and the Frog? I know that's not like as recent as this, sir. I think that was, what, 2008 or something like that? I think it was It was definitely when I was in high school. Have you seen that one? No. Uh, from, what I, from what I've heard of it is that it's just a retreading of princess movies but with a black character instead. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, I don't I don't really know too much I about seen, it. Um, I, I know there's some voodoo in it or something. It's like, what, it's like Nolens or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. And I know there's an, an alligator or a crocodile as a character. That's like their wacky animal sidekick, I think, and things like that. And then they turn into frogs, of course. But but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's very apparent now. The only mo- the only reason I know about modern, like, Disney and Pixar stuff is because of Kingdom Hearts. And so, like, um, Kingdom Hearts 3, there was a Big Hero 6 world. I've never seen Big Hero 6. But oh, like, Big now, Hero 6 is pretty cool. Yeah, the, I, I love the story. It was, they had, like, the whole... um. The, the the world was, you know, San Francisco, and you just literally get to run around the entirety, like, open world of San Francisco. It was awesome, you know, and so that's that's where all my Disney and Pixar knowledge comes from these days. And uh, we're not getting a new Kingdom Hearts game anytime soon, so I won't be catching up on Frozen 2, I think, until, you know, like 2028. 20, and that is, that is a gross grossly way too soon for Kingdom Hearts 4. Uh, 2038 is probably better for Kingdom Hearts 4. <laughs> they do take their sweet time with those games. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, there was one other thing I found in my notes, and, and I'll pick your brain on this, and there's anything else, if there's nothing else, we can get to our questions. Before the Fixer Upper song, when they go back, Christoph goes back to the, uh, the trolls, his family, one of the tr- rock trolls says something about Kristoff taking his clothes off? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, she's going to wash them. She's going to wash them. Okay, I missed that. I, I was, like, writing something down or something like that, and I, like, missed that line. I looked up or heard it, and he, she was like, take your clothes off. He was like, I'm not going to take my clothes off. And I was like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> uh, yeah, she was like, take your clothes off, I'll wash them. He was like, I'll keep my clothes off. Okay, okay, perfect. So, yeah, uh, if there's nothing else that you wanted to highlight, you know, definitely, if there is, this is your your uh, your loved movie, I I totally get it. I guess maybe to, to finish up the um, before we get to our questions, you said this was kind of a um, in the class of these these you know Disney uh, empower or princess empowerment musicals and stuff like that. I totally get it now, Ben. It makes perfect sense. You've explained it. The music, the uh, the empowerment, you know, the the goofy fun and stuff like that. Totally understandable. Where would you would you say you have a favorite? I guess you know. I know you talked. We've talked about Moana a good bit. I know you really like that one. Do you like Moana better? Is this your favorite? Do you like some of the older ones, like you know, Little Mermaid, or is it really more the modern? Like how to? What is that class to, in total? So it's it's definitely more the modern ones because a lot of the old ones rely on the tropes of like damsel in distress, and it's not mm-hmm. so much female empowerment as it is female can find a man, mm-hmm. sure. um, which. Sure. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's, like, a bad message. Like, it, it is important for people to find, you know, love in their life, whatever that looks like, whether it be a man or, or, or not. Like, it, you know, it's important for people to find that companionship, etc. Um, but I don't think it's a good idea to depict people as relying solely on their partner or, or being weak enough that they need to rely solely on their partner. Like, that's just bad relationship stuff anyway. Sure. Um, you really want to be mutually independent not codependent so I, I think mostly I kind of steer away from the older movies because I didn't like the messages that they had to, to say like why do you like the, the exception being I think Hercules because Meg is not exactly a damsel in distress in Hercules she's so like that's that's kind of the exception of, of the, other, the older Disney movies I would say that Moana's probably my favorite okay um, because Moana is about like breaking out and going out into the world. Um, and, you know, she's even, like, trying to save her, her island by going out into the world because her island's being afflicted by something. And so uh, there's definitely things that really resonated with me when I watched Moana, and that had a lot to do with the point I was in my life, that I, I needed 
you know, some kind of like reassurance that going out, stepping stepping off the the beaten path was going to be okay. Sure. Um, and so I, it was nice to see that reassurance from uh, Moana. You know, so it's like I think that's probably my favorite. Plus, like there are some of the songs I think are, are more impactful from Moana than especially now I'm re-listening to Let It Go and how how much that song will really lack substance. So yeah, that's that's probably the favorite one, and, and the class really is like the more recent actually empowering um yeah, yeah movies as opposed to like i said that damsel of distress trope where it's like okay. uh, she needs to find a man yeah so. that, that makes sense you know i'm thinking of um the the old old ones so like cinderella you know snow white and the seven dwarfs sleeping beauty definitely that's damsel in distress from what i remember of the little mermaid it's it's less that because ariel does have some you know agency and it's a lot about like not being oppressed by her father because her father is like very protective of her and stuff like that you mentioned mulan i think mulan's a good example of a non-damsel in distress story and that that was a while ago and that's another one geez i i did see that way back in the day in theaters um yeah and then i I was reminded of it when I played through uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 because you get that in there. Um, oh, Beauty and the Beast? Maybe that's a little damsel in distress, but they subvert it not in the way of that she has a lot of agency, Belle has a lot of agency, but that the Beast is not the villain type of thing. Yeah, that one... There's too much going on uh, in terms of, like, he's an abusive partner. Oh, sure. That, that makes it difficult for me to, to really click well with beauty don't touch my rose yeah (laughs) well he's he's just like he's controlling he's like domineering he's like overall he's an abusive person that's yeah that's fair that's fair um yeah i i have a soft spot for beauty and the beast because i love the song be our guest love that song so goddamn much (laughs) what on the topic of tangled is tangled a damsel in distress because it's playing at that that the trope oh not the the trope the inspiration of rapunzel which is i think one of the quintessential damsel in distress stories um i actually think tangled is less of a damsel in distress okay okay you know cinderella or snow white sure Um, sure she she very much so like she it is like it does start with her being a damsel in distress but she very much takes ownership of her own rescue i guess if that makes sense like there is a, a guy character that is helpful to her, but she is very involved. Okay, okay, right on. And then I guess the other question I have for you is, have you seen the Ralph movies? I know they're not technically princess movies, but Ralph Ralph breaks the internet. Uh, so Wreck-It Ralph and Ralph breaks oh, the Wreck-It internet. Ralph. R- Ralph breaks the internet, like, has that scene with a bunch of the Disney princesses and stuff like that, which I've never seen either of those. But I know those get some good reception in terms of... Um, you know, maybe poking fun at some of the the damsel in distress stuff that you mentioned you don't like, but I haven't seen them, so I'm not exactly sure. Uh, yeah, Wreck It Ralph, I have. I mean, it's got um, Silverman. Is that... Oh, Sarah Silverman is she the voice of? Um, I think it's Vanellope is the main character. Yeah, yeah. And like you, you we get some of that. Like she's an outcast because she's like a glitch, and and you know she uh, does get empowered, and her her and Ralph work together, but there's definitely not as one-sided of a rescuing. Uh, like, she's helping Ralph as much as he's helping her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, definitely. The, the, like, that's that's a more enjoyable story for me as well. I, I do okay. like Ralph. I don't think I saw the internet one. I kind of... I don't, unless I have a really good reason to, I, I don't watch sequels. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, I, you know, for that one, it's like I never heard anything that, that it was astounding or anything like that. My best, best case scenario, it's going to be a little worse than the first one. Yeah, um, yeah, I hear you. And the the exception would be How to Train Your Dragons. I liked that movie oh, enough yeah. that I did see the subsequent uh, movie. 
Um, but anyway. And they did three of those, right? Yeah. I don't know if I've seen the third one. Okay. Oh, I have okay. the second one. Right on. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen those, but I would assume it's um, How to Train Your Dragon, and then the sequel is How to Train Your Dragons, and then the third one is How to Train Your Dragons, or, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure they, it's like four S's. And, oh, they just keep adding S's. Perfect. No, the third the third one's with a Z instead of an S. <laughs> well, no, there's four S's and then a Z, oh. and, and then and then an E R. It's dragons. That's yeah. And then a C Y sure. and then a C Y K, and that's the Polish version. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, the the Disney princess stuff is interesting. I think at the end of this, I just want to shout out one of the earliest episodes Zach and I ever did was on um a few episodes of the Disney show Sophia the First, which was Sophia the First was like a young princess in some town or something like that. Uh, we covered it because Dean Norris did a voice in one of the episodes. I think that's why we covered it when we were doing a Dean Norris series. And uh, I really kind of liked that. Uh, little Sophia had some agency and things like that. And, uh, you know, the, Zach and I had a big argument because one of the episodes was basically like Sophia like had to disobey her parents. And uh, I was like, yeah, Sophia, fuck your parents. They're idiots. And Zach is like, this is the worst message to teach children. But it was a, it was a good time. So, I, yeah, I have a – from my childhood and after watching this, I, have, I do have some soft spot in my heart for Disney princesses. But, man, I, I don't think I'm going to be watching Frozen, uh, Frozen 2, 2 Fra, 2 Zen anytime soon. But uh, at least now I've seen Frozen. I can check it off the list. And uh, if, uh, if I ever have to uh, sit through it because I'm babysitting or anything like that, a little kid, uh, I'll know to put this one on over something else. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, then that brings us to our questions. And I think, it's, I think I've, I've uh, laid it out very well so far. Cinemodities, no. Um, I'm, I might have been a little too harsh in my notes. Last night I wrote down, no, this is some basic Disney princess bullshit. I, I think I should retract the bullshit. It's some basic Disney princess stuff, which there's nothing wrong with. But still, I don't think there's anything odd about it. And late night... I think this version does, deserves some kind of, uh, at least, honoring, honorable mention. Uh, which, what deserves an honorable mention? The subversion of the classic Disney princess tropes. See, okay, so you're right. It does... But there, there's something that, that Zach and I have talked about. This goes back also to one of our earliest episodes. Zach posited once that, you know, he had issue labeling something a cinemodity if it was incredibly successful. Because, and his argument was, because it being a four-quadrant hit, like, inherently made it norm. The the norm or something like that. I disagree real uh, yeah, hard. I, 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 um, there's... Throughout the years, I disagreed with him at the time. This came up on our Total Recall episode, um, which I think is a fucking odd movie uh, and a great movie. The original, not the not the 2012 Total Recall with Colin Farrell, the one with Arnold. But I, throughout the years, I've always disagreed with him as well, Ben. Throughout the years, there have been some things that I don't remember that I've I've teetered back and forth. But I I I do think that there is something to mention, like you said, a very honorable mention for subverting some of this princess stuff. I think I would be more keen to give it that honorable mention if it wasn't Disney doing it. So my, my, what I mean is that Disney has this track record of following this damsel in distress formulaic Disney princess stuff and doing very well with it for so long. And after that track record, finally realizing, oh, if we tweak this, that, the other thing very tinily, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the next step. So I, I would say it's a little more odd if somebody other than Disney found it out. I feel like Disney has just put the time and research in that it was almost an inevitability, if that I, makes some I sense. Can, I can see where you're coming from, but I, I kind of, I, I guess my natural inclination is to do with the opposite. It's like, why not just stay the course for them? 
So for them to not save the course, like for them to break away from that thing that has made them billions of dollars. Okay, okay. Uh, it's just like that's, you know, they, they took a risk, and that risk paid off. Sure, I see where you're coming from. And, and, and that's kind of the same reason why I'm just like, just because it's successful doesn't mean it's not odd. Like, maybe it's successful because it's so different. Sure, yeah, that, that's, I, that's how I feel for most of the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, anyway. And then, and then my other one, late night, I, I said, well, my late night answer was no. I think in the usual sense, when I talk about late night movies, it's like when I have the chance to put something on for other people. Um, would I choose this? No. But I think I want to pull something uh, uh, from your playbook, Ben. You know, uh, I think – oh, God, I don't remember what it was exactly, but you said something. It was great. I, was la- I didn't laugh at it when we recorded it, but when I was, like, putting the, your answer in the spreadsheet, I laughed at it. You said something like – you were like, if this was on TV, I wouldn't turn it off. And then you pause and go, at least not right away. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of feel that way about Frozen, where where I, but I want to tweak it a little bit. I, I, I wrote down no, but I put the caveat, I will never watch this attentively again. Like when I watched it for this recording, I was attentively watching it, you know, making my notes, like making sure I understood it. If this was on, like, and a kid was around, sure. I would watch this again. Would I be on my phone every now and then to look something up or whatever? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go with, you know, no, but with the caveat of if it's on, hey, I'm, I might just let it play in the background. And sure. once again, that is let probably the highest praise let I can give play. to that. <laughs> so what do you think for Cinemodities and Late Night? Oh, I have to say it's, it's, uh, it was one of the first movies to do the subversion. I have to give it a slight head nod for that in the oddity column. Mm-hmm. It is not different enough to be an oddity. Sure, sure. But it is it is worth mentioning that it subverts a lot of things, and there was a lot of things that followed it that that did the same thing that you know that that used this as their jumping off point. Definitely. So you know, in terms of what's out there now, is it odd? Definitely not. But in terms of when it was made, uh, yeah, it was a little weird. Um, okay, it, right on. And it, it worked out for them. So I'm going to have to go, like, it's a soft no, I guess, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, and then for Late Night, yeah, I mean, I, I would watch this if, th- this is, I, I, it's, it's kind of a, a know your audience, I guess, to some degree. It's like, if I'm, especially if I'm with a child, which I don't know why anyone would ever leave a child with me, um, <laughs> you know, sure, I'll put it on Frozen uh, and see, keep them busy or whatever. Uh, would I maybe watch Frozen one night on a whim? Maybe. Would I watch Frozen with somebody who proclaimed that they loved Frozen? No. Mm, gotcha. No. Gotcha. I like, and, and when I say love, I mean more than like the unexpected love that I've mentioned for it. Uh, I if somebody's singing "Let It Go" at me, we're not watching this movie together. <laughs> it's not happening. So, you know, that for whatever it's worth. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. Well then, that brings us to snacks. Um, I don't have too many snacks. I mean, uh, there's some there's some food in here, some low hanging fruit. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, or low hanging carrots, I guess. But uh, um, yeah. the one that I the one that I thought of that I really wanted to to go uh, to to pitch was um, we use these rock trolls for stone soup, and I don't think we have stone soup anywhere else in the um, restaurant. I know we have perpetual stew. We've talked about that, Ben. I don't think we've talked about stone soup, but. 
I want to use these rock trolls for stone soup, but with no other ingredients. Like, like get rid of all the stuff from the, what is it, a fable or a tale? Or a, a, whatever the whole, because the whole stone soup story is that the villagers don't want to share with the travelers. And then the travelers make stone soup and, and trick the villagers into giving them more food. And they're like, oh, now we're all sharing. It's about the value of sharing and some bullshit like that. Get rid of okay. all that. Get rid of the value sharing. Get rid of the ingredients that the villagers bring, you know. We just boil the shit out of these rock trolls and see what it tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe even clip their mu- – there's one rock troll who's like, look, Christoph, I grew a mushroom. Like, fucking cut that mushroom up before you put him in the water, you know. No flavor. Get that No moss. accidental yeah, other ingredients. Yeah, scrape the moss off of their backs and stuff like that. Just boil these rock trolls, see what they taste like. And I thought that would be cool. It would be our stone soup. Uh, for the Cinematis restaurant. The only other the only other food item I have, I have one that's not food item. Um, for some reason, I thought uh, there was the moment when uh, what uh, Christoph and Anna are talking about how she got engaged to Hans the day she met him. And he's like, mm-hmm. well, what, have you eaten a meal with him? What if he eats in a way you don't like? What if you don't like the way he picks his nose and eats them, you know, and eats it or whatever he says? So boogers, just boogers. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like from our staff or... That oh, that's a good question. I guess. I mean, I don't know where we can buy boogers if we. I don't. Know. It would probably have to be from our staff. So let's say like a sta- like so like let's say you know a staff member goes on break. They go to the break. How about this? They go to the break room or whatever, um, and you know they're they're hanging out and they just they gotta they gotta pick their nose because you know you gotta do what you gotta do you gotta pick your nose. They pick their nose. They get a huge booger out and there's a receptacle in the break room where they can put their boogers where we can collect them. Sure. Perfect. Perfect. Isn't that a appetizing everybody? <laughs> That actually might be kid-friendly. Not boogers, eating boogers in the restaurant. I mean, us talking about having a, having a, I almost said fake restaurant, sorry, having a real restaurant and having boogers on the menu. Like, I know I've said fuck a ton of times in this episode. We talked a lot about homosexuality. But I like to think that there's a family with a little kid out there, and the little kid would hear us say, we should have boogers on the menu. You could eat boogers at this restaurant. And the little kid's like, ha ha ha, boogers. That's family-friendly right there. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So I, I think that we uh, we need to lean in on the ice some for, for Frozen. Okay. So I, I'm reminded of, like, you know, explorers going up north and finding ice and then bringing it back home and, and trying to show off the ice that they found and it being water, of course, by the time they got it home uh, and then being, <laughs> sure. being laughed at. So I, I think that we should have, like, we should offer, like, melted snow or, uh, or like, summertime snow, and it's just it's just water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I think you know we we should uh, we should definitely do that with like you can have like souvenirs like we'll sell souvenir like ice on a keychain. Yeah, but then by the time you go anywhere, it's it's just an empty keychain because there's no ice on it anymore. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, I was trying to think of something with the ice too, and I I'm pretty sure we have ice. I think we have dirty ice on the menu. I think for some reason we say like all the ice we use is dirty ice whatever the fuck we meant by that way back when. But yeah, I like that where we're selling, you know, ice, our ice type things. And it's like, we have a, in the gift shop or something, there's like one of those, um, like sliding door ice cream coolers, you know, like the good yeah. humor ice cream things. And you reach in and it's like, Oh, look at this one. It's like this, uh, this keychain has a block of ice with like my name in, in like carved into it. You know, it's like, right. can I have it? You buy it for what? I don't know. What's a good price for that? $35. Seventy dollars. That's, that's a little low. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll have to do some. We'll have to do some uh, market research on that one. But then you know, it's like, mommy, mommy, get me, get me the, the ice with my name on it. You know, and it's like the parents, like, God damn it, why we name our kids something with seven syllables? 
<laughs> and then, you know, they get out and they leave, and assuming they leave, or they go anywhere else in the restaurant outside of the cooler and they just melt, and you get a, a janky ass cheap keychain. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I think $40 plus $8 per syllable. Ooh, okay. I like that. I like that. For some reason, I thought you were going to say shipping and handling at the end. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and, and shipping. <laughs> Could you imagine if you went, if you were in person at a store and you were like, you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to buy this thing. And it said like $9.99 and it comes out to like $14.99. It's like, whoa, what happened? Is that all tax? And be like, no, shipping and handling. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. I, I had to, I had to handle it. Yeah, to you, yeah, you know? Exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should add that. Maybe we should add a, a shipping and handling surcharge on all the items in our gift shop. Because <laughs> technically, they do have to be shipped. You know, somewhere they have to be handled and shipped. The, the distance they're shipped might not be very far. It might be from you know where it's scanned or entered on the cashier side back to the customer. But that that's shipping. It's shipped, uh, right? <laughs> I thought you were just trying to like offload the cost of shipping that into the store. We could do. I mean, we could do that too. You know. <laughs> uh, which you know, I'm down. I'm down to offload. That's that's good. I like that. <laughs> shipping and handling. <laughs> the uh, the only other one I had comes from Olaf at the end, where to prevent him from melting, he gets his own personal flurry. Yeah. Um, I would definitely like to set up the ability for uh, maybe customers or uh, customers we don't like or something. Because it for anybody but Olaf or a creature that needs cold weather to survive, the the f- personal flurry seems like a bad thing. So I was thinking, you know, we would have a way to set up like personal flurries over customers or something like that, uh, just so they have to kind of just sit under a seemingly, you know, a bit of snow and something very cold, like cold enough to keep the snowman. So it has to be below freezing at least. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that this should be the way we like put kids in timeout in the Sydney Modernities portion. Of the oh, restaurant. I like that. Would you, would you make them like stationary or would you say, okay, you're not really like, you don't, you're not, you don't have to go to the corner or anything, but everywhere you go, you have to be followed by this cloud of snow and cold. Yeah. You're, you're just cold. Like we don't have enough. I don't think we have enough supervisors for that area definitely not. actually enforce children sitting still so we'll just put an ice cloud over them okay i like that i like that you know and they get they just get cold as shit i mean and then maybe maybe that's something like their first strike if they get a second strike like if they're still acting up after they have their own personal flurry, oh, yeah, shoot heart with ice. you read right. my mind get them a ice blast right to the heart and uh and, and then we have to see if anyone loves them. I know, Straight. and I, exactly, and that's the thing. I would say, statistically, if your parents are leaving you in the sin emodities portion of the restaurant, an act of love is not coming your way anytime soon. <laughs> I have to agree, that's probably a murder uh, that we're going to do. And, you know, I the kid probably deserved it. So. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Oh man! Anything else to the restaurant that you had? Um, I I think that we need like a a sauna that just has this one guy in it who says "yoohoo" at people. Yoo-hoo. Okay, and, I, I can see that. <laughs> and his family, and he's like, "Hello, family!" Yoo-hoo. It's just like, <laughs> and it's uh, and it's just really annoying to be around. You know, it's like you sure. walk around and just like "yoohoo," like "come here, yoohoo." It's fucking god, you know, awful. <laughs> every, every time anybody walks by. He, yeah, he says it. I think that we need one of those. Okay. Uh, we all we also need like some ice staircases mm. and and reindeer, um, oh, and then yeah. and then we have events where people try to ride reindeer down the ice staircases because clearly they cannot maneuver on the ice staircases from this movie. So okay, I dig that. It's uh, it essentially becomes reindeer sledding uh, <laughs> at, at some point. 
it's like when you see those those uh, dumb kids take like a sled and r- try and run it down their stairs in their house type of thing, and it never turns out well. It's like you get at the top of the stairs, you get on a reindeer, and you just push down the ice, you know? Oh, and, and to make it even better, we could actually sharpen the edges of the stairs. So at some <laughs> point when, when the reindeer falls, we start slicing it into reindeer meat sections. Ah, yes. And then, and then it's just like two birds, one stone, you know what I mean? Like we got like customers having fun. And we're preparing whatever reindeer meat we need. Perfect. I love it. I love it. I've never had... That's a good thought. Reindeer meat. Yeah, we get Sven in this, uh, the reindeer, and uh, could eat him up, or any reindeer, really. Um, I've had elk before, and that was pretty good. I can't imagine reindeer is too different, but who the, who the fuck knows? <laughs> we, we should probably also get a snow titan. Ooh, okay. Maybe, uh, are you thinking of some type of um, security, or, you know, something like that? Yeah. Okay. That's the turn at the very least. Yeah, we can throw that on the list. Uh, I know we got a bunch of different weird security forces that I have to I have to make a list of or something. But another one can't hurt. Can't have too much security. He probably like this guy probably just guards those uh, those ice keychains. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, make sure no one steals them or anything like that. Oh man, what if we carve the keychain part of it out of ice also? So then it's just <laughs> ice, and it just leaves your pocket wet. And you don't even have a chain. I like that. I like that because then if you buy it, not only are you wasting your money. Well, no, it's not a waste of money. Everybody come buy it. Come to the restaurant, Cinemize Restaurant, buy these ice keychains, ice chains, whatever the hell we want to call them, with your name engraved on it. And then we get the money. And then later on, it looks like the customer peed the side of their pants. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a win, win, win. If yes. I- that's the sure. that's the lasting legacy of the cinemized restaurant. It'll make you look like you peed out of the side of your pants. <laughs> so it's what all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. There we go. There's our Adam Sandler tie-in. <laughs> yeah. Pee in your pants is the coolest. God, okay. Um, so with all that being said, we finished our first uh, episode of the revisit to the Unexpected Love series. Uh, next week... Tune in to see what else is unexpectedly loved by uh, Ben and I, or one of us. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I always like to keep that under wraps. But we will keep going with the unexpected love. And I like this series. It lets us do things that, you know, would otherwise have never, ever come up. The other thing I want to say is, um, Ben, I will put it on the list, uh, on the spreadsheet, I should say. Maybe at some point we will have to get to the other Frozen movie for the Patreon. Um, uh, Because uh, then I think it'll be interesting to be like, we've covered Frozen on the main feed. You could also come to the Patreon and check out Frozen. (laughs) But speaking of that, if anybody likes what they've heard, if you want to hear more crazy discussions about things like Eight Crazy Nights, uh, where Ben and I are a little more at each other's throats about our disagreements on that movie, if you want to hear us talk about the the crazy stuff we like to discuss, uh, like Assassin's Creed, that's another recent one, that's on there. But we have a whole slew of backlogged episodes that you can get uh, for a $5 a month tier, and definitely head on to www.patreon.com slash cinemodities, check out the other other tiers, what you can pay us for, fan requests, all that stuff. It's good fun. Ben, if there's anything you want to say about the Patreon, go for it. Other than that, um, I believe uh, I, I have uh, you have a way to count my life. I thought it was at one, but apparently I need some more complicated system these days. Uh, yes, I mean, Patreon, as always, it's good fun. We do a bunch of time. We do other movies. We do fan requests. We make rant episodes. Yes, uh, yes. We, it's it's good fun. Come check it out. Come support us uh, that way. And if you wanted to support me separately, you could download my Life Counting app, uh, just called the Life Counter, from the Play Store or the App Store. 
It is the best app for tracking your life total when playing Magic the Gathering, especially in a format like Multiplayer Commander. And then, you know, if you want to monetarily support me, you can go to bit.ly slash the life counter to buy all of the magic products that you were going to buy anyway at the same cost, but give me a kickback for shopping through my affiliate link for TCG Player. Um, so come check out the app. Come buy your magic cards and, uh, you know, help, help brother out. Indeed. Yes. And all, as always, all the links will be in the show notes for everybody to check out. Well, then that brings us to how are we going to end this episode? I think, I, I mean, kind of even before I watched this movie, I was like, it's, it's going to be let it go in reverse, right? Like, is there, I mean, I feel like you might say fixer upper. Um, what do you think? <sighs> let it go. I mean, obviously that's what people would expect. Yes. Uh, this is an unexpected love episode, though. Mm. Um, so I think we need to go with something more unexpected, which is going to be a song we didn't even talk about. Do you want to build a snowman? Oh, okay, okay. I, I like that. I like that. Yes, an unexpected uh, final song at the end here. Okay, that sounds good. Well then, Ben, this is a good kickoff to the series. Um, we are recording this on the early side. Thank God. I love having a backlog and time to edit these things. But Ben... And to the cinema audience, I am off to sit in a theater for at least three hours to see the Batman. So we'll have to see how that is. And I think eventually Ben and I will have to discuss that. We've been itching to talk about some Batman, and the recent one will probably uh, pop up. But um, yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, possibly sit in the back row so I can get up and stretch at a certain point, and not bother anybody else in the theater. I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Yes. I hope it's good, man. I hope it's good. I mean, love me, the, love me the Riddler. We haven't seen the Riddler in live action since um, goddamn Jim Carrey in Batman Forever, which is a abhorrent movie, I think. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm ready to be riddled, bro. <laughs> Riddle me this.